This is the Movie Hall of Fame, class of Friday the 13th. For February 19th, 2020, I am one of your hosts, Adam Hall. And across the table, virtually, from me right now is the great Nico DiGregorio. Trapped in the Camp Crystal Lake of my own design. Adam. <laughs> Stuck you- here with Jason Voorhees. <laughs> Against some, my will. Some thriller ripoff music. <laughs> I'm very happy for you. Um, you know, I, I thought that when this week began, it mm. would be a um, a metaphorical hell yeah. that I was living. Um, but it, it turns out that I'm actually trapped in a literal one. <laughs> and like... I don't think you understand exactly what you did to me this week. And part of it's not your fault. Yes. Part of it is mine and those around me that, you know, were maybe a little careless with the COVID protocols. I was going to say, I don't want you to fully blame Friday the 13th here. This is some extraordinary circumstances. I mean, it, it really is an unbelievable coincidence, though. <laughs> I know. It was incredible. <laughs> I was like, you've got to be shitting me. How does this happen? <laughs> like, you really just need to step back and just take in the dramatic irony for a second. I know. <laughs> um because it really is quite something. The <sighs> week that you assign to me six Friday the 13th podcasts, I get fucking COVID. <laughs> and, I'm, you know, I, I don't leave the house that much anyway. But this week I have not been allowed to even leave my bedroom. Yep. I've not left my bedroom. Yep. Yep. Um, because, you know, I told the story on two cents, but my family got diagnosed with COVID on Monday, but I tested negative. Mm-hmm. So we were acting under the assumption that I was not sick and everybody else was. So I quarantined myself in my bedroom and the office next door here. I just took over this wing of the house and got my own bathroom. And my days just consisted of getting up in the morning, watching Linus Tech Tips on oh, YouTube. God as I um, ordered parts for a PC that I'm building, mm-hmm. uh, then watching a Friday the 13th film, walking to the bathroom, maybe grabbing a snack, coming back and watching another Friday the 13th film. Oh, it has God. been just like quite the pathetic existence that I've been living the last several days. And uh, wouldn't you know it, COVID actually hits me last night. Um, so now I'm going to associate <laughs> these films not only with, uh, at times, poor filmmaking, but also poor health. It's a real shame. It's a real shame. There's a bit of me that was like, there's no way he's going to like these movies. But like, I don't know, maybe there's a chance he'll he'll see like the sleazy charm of them. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I was like, <laughs> I think if I were in your situation, I would have fucking hated these movies too. <laughs> So I'm lying here in bed right now. I have the podcast studio set up on yeah. my nightstand here. Um, and I'm literally just on the left side of my bed for sleep, right side of my bed for work. And I've just been rotating. My whole life is in this full-size mattress right now. Well, uh, hey, it's, it, it shows that we really don't need to leave our beds to go to work, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Um, so we'll see how the podcast turns out. This is the first... This is a first time thing for me, podcasting right. from the bed. So I'm, I I am gonna take 
some of what you say with like the amount of grain of salt that George Costanza's dad does in that episode of Seinfeld where he overseasons the steak mm. and, and like kills everybody. <laughs> That's how much seasoning I'm going to take with some of the stuff you say. <laughs> I think I need to. I think it's appropriate here. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, okay, I will say this. So I started this marathon Monday night. Oh yeah. And and we're doing six movies, by the way, today, right? You've nominated yes, yes. six movies. But how many did you watch? I've watched seven of them. Okay. Uh, you had me skip one, and I decided to just go through because I needed the context. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you don't really need the context, but fine. <laughs> so, you know, with, with these seven movies, along with Jason X and Freddy vs. Jason, I have watched all but three Friday the 13th films. Is that correct? Yeah, you're currently missing Jason Takes Manhattan, which is part eight, and part mm-hmm. nine, Jason Goes to Hell, and of course, the remake. Right. Um, so yeah, this is really, I, I, I've, I've spent some time with Jason in the past, I guess, but this is the first time that I've really dug into his backstory and his mythology. Mm-hmm. I will say a really weird thing happened around part three. Um, and it might have to do with my cabin fever, I guess, but you know how, like, if you watch too much basketball, like you stop watching the ball. (laughs) I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Like whenever you watch a sport and Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're, you're essentially watching the same thing happen over and over and over and over again, you start taking your eye off of the ball and you're like looking out the screens that a guy is setting or like a, mm. a pass that somebody might've passed up that, uh, you know, would have resulted in a three point shot. Like you really sort of your, your understanding of the game becomes elevated to the point where you can't help, but look at everything that you're not supposed to look at as oh. a viewer. Oh, and that's what happened to me here around part three of this franchise. <laughs> like, I, I, I was just so on the wavelength of the tone of these movies, the formula of these movies, mm-hmm. the tricks that these movies play on you, that like it, it's it's almost as if I could sight read this film. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if you were if you were to give me a complicated piece of music for the first time, like I wouldn't be able to play it on the piano, mm-hmm. but I feel like I would be able to to like map out each individual beat of this movie as it as it goes yep like i'm watching this thing and i'm and i'm picking up on you know two characters who are in different rooms and the film is cross-cutting between the two of them and the director is leading you to believe that one character is going to get killed and of course they pull the rug out from under you and the other character gets killed yes but because i now understand that trick i knew which character was going to get killed in that like weird bit of reverse psychology or you know that moment where you feel Jason coming because that uh, 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 mm. music starts playing, that sound effect starts playing, and you know the the character gets scared by a cat that jumps out of a cabinet. Yeah. But of course, J- and then you know the character breathes a sigh of relief, and then thirty seconds later, Jason actually shows up. Um, so like, it, I feel like I really learned a lot about filmmaking this week. Oh, interesting. Okay, <laughs> which and I'm actually interested <clears throat> to dig into that more because. You know, as easy as it is for me to dismiss these movies, and I'll be doing a lot of dismissing on today's podcast. <laughs> That's fine. Like, I, I do think I was able to understand them on like a more cinematic level. 
Yeah. And I, I kind of learned a lot about like what good horror is, what bad horror is, what good comedy is, what bad comedy is. Yep. And, um, you know, it didn't always lead by example, but it definitely gave me an example of what not to do a lot of the time. It's a weird sort of messy example of literally everything you, you just said. And it's interesting you say by the third movie you fell into that rhythm because that's exactly my experience with the films as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just because of what the third film chooses to be. And we'll get to that, I suppose. But yeah, um, it's, it's – to you know, I mean at, at this point you should – have picked up the fact that these are pretty trashy films across the board. Sure. And there's not, um, there's not a lot of traditional redeeming qualities about, I mean, most of them anyway, it's sort of a, uh, a weird franchise. And we talked about this before where it's like, it probably shouldn't have endeared as long as it has, but it has. And even now they're considering making another one and you know, cool. Surprised uh, they haven't already. Yeah, no. Yeah. On, <laughs> I have this. When talking about how crappy these movies are, I, I this this is how I put it. It's the, the the franchise is called Friday the Thirteenth, correct? Yes. There are twelve movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just make the thirteenth movie. What are you doing? <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> it's like the day Friday the Thirteenth like that relevant to the plot of these movies it's jason's birthday right okay you know and that's where his mom comes back and kills everybody because yeah but like at a revenge yeah friday the 13th doesn't land on a friday every week every year you know that day i know moves around a lot i know that (laughs) yeah it's it's very like like it doesn't make any conceivable sense there are movies in this series that go out of their way to mention friday the 13th like i think the sixth one does it, and uh, the first one does it, and maybe the second one, but the third one definitely doesn't, and the fourth one definitely doesn't, and the fifth one, <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's 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 these movies are fucking stupid, man. What do you want? <laughs> they're fucking dumb movies. <laughs> yeah, they're stupid, but they've they've endured, as you yes. said, <laughs> and. Um, you know, I'm trying to figure out why that is. Always looking to understand, you know, okay. always looking to try to to peer over the other side of the fence and see how the other half lives. But, you know, I, I mean, maybe you can help me with this. You obviously love these movies. Oh, yeah. I love them. Love them. Love but them it, to death. Does it go beyond just you were a kid when you saw them? And so you have nostalgia for them? Like, is there something deeper here? I still watch them. Right. I still watch them. There are many movies that I saw as kids that I don't care to rewatch. Um, there is an element to the nostalgia that's a little more palpable than just like, I don't know, even like the Sandlot, which is like a nostalgic film. But these films to me are nostalgia in like the purest sense in the way that the nostalgia actually keeps going and keeps endearing. Even the older you get, it still kind of makes sense to you. I'll, I'll explain that in a bit, but let me just show you to, to, like my 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 love for these movies real quick i made this little pamphlet for for the show nico a pamphlet look at this oh oh goodness these are my notes i know the audience cannot see this but nico look at what i did that I is got so... 10 pages of notes here look and at... oh my god putting my mic down i got list of movies here. Oh my, so Adam has printed out in full color. 
a 10-page packet. Look at that. With all the posters, cast lists, plot, fun facts. Look at that. Every page has its own movie. Some extend into two pages. You should like you should like stand out of like a outside of like a, a sports arena and just hand those things out. <laughs> Friday the thirteenth packages. Yeah, or like uh, go door to door, just like you know, like the Church of Scientology or something. Oh, it's it it basically is the Church of Scientology. <laughs> Getting you on this podcast is not that much different, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm not done. You, you know this part, but of course, uh, my my oral history with my love for Friday the Thirteenth and the Jason Mask. I have this one here. Okay, yeah. let me see if I can guess, guess the movie. Yeah, it doesn't have the the crease at the top, does it? No. And that thing is. Solid. You have seen this movie though. Um, oh, and you you picked up on the only bit of continuity that the series cares about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the fact that like Jason is burned to a crisp at the end of season uh, of, of uh, episode four, uh, movie four. Um, and then, yeah, by movie six, his corpse is just in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to get that crease in the mask right. That's got to be part three then, isn't it? Nope. It's not nope. part four? Nope. This one when, is from... When does, what? This one's from Freddy versus Jason. Oh, because yeah. he got a new one. Yeah, it's not a bad mask. I like this one. This is the first one I ever owned. And then, because I love the remake mask so much, the first one I bought was this guy. But it's kind of crappy. I mean, it's it's a little light, you know. Is that an autograph inside? There is an autograph inside. You know, I, I redid the paint job myself because I wanted it to look more <laughs> yellow. Um, yeah, <laughs> let me just knock on it for proof. So that's the other one. <laughs> yeah, I repainted this sucker. You know, and it came out fine. It's like my early days of working with makeup. <laughs> but it wasn't perfect. It's not like a perfect mold. Not all the details are correct. And I was like, I want a movie quality Jason mask. So uh, yeah, this one you have seen because Zach has worn it and you, you've seen it in person. Is this guy from the remake movie. And I love this thing almost more than any other possession I own. This is a... Like a like a high end expensive movie quality mask with the perfect straps, the perfect details, the perfect chevrons, and yes, it is my favorite Jason mask from the remake movie, and it's great. I love this thing. Look at that. I love this. You know, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for me too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not done. Oh no. I also have here a little box set. Look at this box. It's a, bo- a Blu-ray blo- box set that just got released not so long ago. Blu-ray? Yep. And, yep. All 12 movies. Oh, my God. Look at that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Remakes in there, too, huh? Yes, it is. So, uh, yeah, I like how these much movies. Have, <laughs> estimate to me. How much have you spent on Friday the 13th Possessions in your life? And how much would that be worth if you just invested in Bitcoin instead? I do have a machete too, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think altogether this is like maybe three hundred dollars. Okay, so it could be a lot worse. (laughs) I guess. 
But uh, yeah, this uh, yeah, safe to say this franchise uh, means a lot to me. I'd also like to point out that this is the only Blu-ray box that you can own, and they only released it recently. So it just made me happy that hey, you know, uh, people cared enough to actually do Blu-ray conversions for all these movies. Because every time I would try to stream it, the the quality was wrong and right. the audio was fucked up. And I'm like, can we just get like a proper release of these movies so I can marathon them all and you know love my life and get out of any depression. I might be in just watch Friday, <laughs> oh, this Friday the 13th it, huh? movies <laughs> so yeah I have it now and I've been watching the shit out of these movies particularly Jason Lives uh, yeah I like these movies man I feel like though and I appreciate the, the film preservation aspect of it but I kind of feel like these movies should only be watched on VHS <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah like yeah, there's just they, something not right like if it's you know not grainy and skips over yeah. a frame or two and like the audio doesn't cut out every once in a while i don't even fully disagree with that <laughs> but then you know you at a certain point you just lose all the copies you know at a certain point you need to convert but you're right like the the best version of this is like the crappy version that you you know like like pirate and, and you play on your tv before your your parents can can see you watch it mm. so yeah um yeah a lot of history here yeah yeah i can tell when's the first time you saw friday the 13th movie okay let me just explain like like how like why i am the way that i am with these movies <laughs> so i was like <laughs> let's let's like begin with why you are the way you are and then we'll get to the uh, we know why i am the way that i am i think <laughs> i don't know a lot no, of mysteries I, there to uncover i grew up in like the perfect incubator to love these movies when i was 10 years old my family and i actually like spent our summers at a family camp by a lake in oh, cabins wow. in cabins with other ca- cabins around where you know families would hang out um and in the center of the the complex was this like big house area that everyone would hang out in and at night we would watch a lot of you know bad movies right so my first experience ever with this franchise was actually freddy versus jason Oh, wow. And, yeah. So I was aware of, I had been aware of Jason beforehand, but I just, I was, you know, kind of getting into it right then and there and kind of understanding what it is. And that movie does a pretty good job at explaining Jason to, to a certain degree. <laughs> Not his I mean, fear of water. <laughs> That's the only bad part. But, you know, aside from that, <laughs> it gets everything else right. Yeah. It I, doesn't get the tone of the the other movies perfect, I would say. But Like, okay. As a Friday the 13th fan, you can only speak for yourself, but, like, are you guys that precious about, like, the depiction of Jason in these movies? Because, uh, like, you know, I, I didn't find the actual characterization <laughs> of the guy, and I and I, I don't mean this tongue-in-cheek, I mean this entirely sincere. Uh-huh. Like, I, I didn't find him to be particularly interesting. Okay. And, like, I, I, I wanted to know, like, do you have a, I mean, obviously you have a favorite mask. Do you have a favorite actor that plays Jason? Do you like care about his physicality? Do you care about his motivation? Do you care about the backstory at all? Or is it as simple as this is a guy with a very long machete and a ski mask and he doesn't die? Um, there are things about his backstory that I find interesting, I guess. Okay. There's elements to him that I, I, I enjoy. It's kind of just let's watch Jason kill people. Okay. What I what I will say the, the the most interesting thing about this franchise to me um is just the fact that the series is based around a killer who is the first victim of the entire franchise. Right. 
which is actually kind of cool. Like the more I, I, I think about it every time I rewatch these movies, I'm like, there, that's kind of different. <laughs> that's an edge to these crappy horror slasher films that, you know, you, I think this is the only franchise I've seen that's actually done it. And it does give an element of humanity, like a strange sort of humanity to Jason that you don't, you don't necessarily give these movies credit for when you first enter it. But I think the more you watch it, the more you uncover about like his own character, because there is something there, especially mm-hmm. in just how like he doesn't work as a person and how easily it is to trick him and just how much of a child he is in the first couple movies. Right. So I, I, I I'm, <sighs> I would actually say I am somewhat interested in him, but I know not in the same way that I'm interested in like Freddy Krueger, for example. Yeah. Where it's, where right. It's like I, the personality is the selling point where it's like part of, part of the selling point for these movies is kind of Jason's story in a weird way. I don't want to give these movies too much credit, but I don't, I also don't, I, I also don't want to take too much away if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's an idea to the first couple yeah. of movies. I mean, the, the first two or three movies have an idea and you know, that's funny that you said they Freddy versus Jason sort of nails the Jason aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess it, it nails the tone and the movies clearly had figured out the tone that they wanted to pursue later on and they stuck with it. Um, but I, I'm not so sure those later movies really care about Jason as a person at all. And, you know, I, I, like they certainly do in the remake. And they, uh, they Okay. And they they definitely the they I I'm not sure I totally agree with that with with Freddy versus Jason. They definitely do a lot with like his uh uh like the, the the mythology around like his sense of purgatory and how he's always kind of stuck in this endless uh like 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 chaotic circle of just killing people and going back to his cabin and that's it that's all his existence is. It's just this sad thing and then they it's further explain like why he drowned in the first place and why the the uh, he was pushed into the lake and all those other things. They give, honestly, they do more with his backstory in Freddy versus Jason than the vast majority of the movies. <laughs> if I'm right. being totally honest with you, so yeah, I, no, I to, don't need I don't need De Niro in Godfather two. No, here. no, like, that's exactly. not what I'm asking yeah. for. Like you know, I I just and I don't think that first movie is particularly good either. So like I I don't want to give that too much credit, but you know, at least the twist in that movie, and you know, as you said, like there is some there's some pathos there like mm-hmm. there there is a a, a uh, there's a traumatic event that happened that is responsible for the evil that you're seeing as opposed to he's just evil and he kills things and he's unstoppable yes. in that way exactly exactly um which i kind of know, appreciate I, and and i look I, I know how much you love jason i know how much that uh, the film world loves jason yeah you know i was thinking to myself by that fourth movie though like is jason that cool where we have to devote every movie to him like, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, you know, that first movie... <laughs> Nico, uh, the short answer is yes. <laughs> I guess. But the first movie doesn't have Jason as the villain. The second no. one does. And you would think, like, all right, maybe the third one, they change it up a little bit. You know, maybe they give him at least, like, a, a new face shield. You know, first it was the bag, then it became the mask. Then, you know, can you change the shield? Can you change the villain? Actually, one movie does change the villain, and we'll get to it in a bit. Um, but, like, <laughs> this this franchise is kind of like, if it's broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the, the they're sort of so like, reliable. That's that's the real yeah. The, the, the thing about them that that a lot of people love is that you you just know exactly what you're getting for every movie you go you jump into. Broke or not broke, we're not fixing yeah. it no matter what. Yep. You know, yep. like it's yep. just <laughs> trial and all error. Um, <laughs> it's like once not we have 
not what? for all of them. Not yeah. for all. I don't. I don't think they're all bad. But uh, but it's like once they found this villain that people liked, it's just like we're gonna stick with this, and yeah. we're just gonna keep. And I was sort of in awe of like how committed they were to this very formulaic model. That's the part you know? of the charm. No, no, no. That really yeah, is part I think, of the charm. I think the, so. Yeah. There is something so oddly endearing about this franchise and just how like you said committed they are to just making dumbass turn your brain off popcorn movies when i think of popcorn movies that are stupid this is it (laughs) this is the prime example as nick said a little while back when we were talking about jason x these are movies they are not films these are movies in the purest form you go to a theater with a bunch of drunk idiots and you watch the shit out of these and you love them no matter how shitty they are right um also um yeah i i i want to comment back to like my my experiences with them as a kid because i think part of the reason why like they've endeared so much for me and why like I, I mean, I love them so much is in kind of going back to the nostalgic element to them is that even now there's, I guess the best way I can, I can put it is like, is there's sort of like a rebellious quality when you're younger to watching movies like this. Cause they're viewed as like the bad movies that you're not supposed to touch because they're sleazy and there's boobs and there's violence and all that gross, nasty, you know, uh, offensive stuff, whatever. Right. You know, it's, but it's, 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 it's actually multi-layered. It's not just, I'm not allowed to watch them. It's, I'm not allowed to like them. Yes. And this the, is the thing. And know? I say, I say the, the charm of this movie, the most of the series is I know you hate them and that's exactly why I love them. Sure. It's, it's, it's very much like, you know, like I'm, I'm watching these movies and I'm doing something bad. Right. 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 I'm watching these movies and and I I'm breaking the rules and oh that's so much fun. Sure. But I, and part of the reason why I think these movies <laughs> for the fandom are almost beyond criticism at this point is that the movies reflect that feeling. Yes. The movies themselves like perfectly reflect the feeling of you're out in the woods and you're all by yourself and you're doing so- something naughty that you shouldn't be doing. And if you're not careful, your parents are going to catch you and discipline you. And that's kind of what Jason at a certain point starts to feel like. I mean, I can speak from experience from watching these movies and like, like cuddling with girls <laughs> while I was watching them. Like, right. yeah, as soon as the parents came in, you would run away. You're like, Oh fuck, turn it off, run, go. <laughs> right. Right. At, at a lakeside family camp. That's that was <laughs> I'm serious. I had the perfect, perfect incubator to see these movies and just <laughs> love the hell out of them unabashedly. So, yeah, th- th- they're formative for me. Like that is honestly a, a, a chunk of my childhood. That is some of my most fond memories. Yeah. So I dig it. And I'm not going to run on your parade. Um, no. Yeah. It, yeah. You're 100 percent right. Like to come on here and to actually legitimately criticize these movies would sort of be defeating the whole purpose yeah, of the series and this podcast. So, uh, I'll, I'll let you have your fun for the next two hours. Okay. Yeah. And I'll to, to give you, s- well, yeah, no, thank you. But <laughs> to put it into some greater context though, in just what this franchise means to the horror community as well is that, um, I, I don't think there's anybody who would say they prefer the Halloween franchise over this. And I don't think there's anybody who would say they prefer the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise over this. Even though there are better films in both franchises, the the shift in in just like like if you were to do like a poll, 
and just like the amount of numbers you would get off of those two movies versus the numbers you would get off of Friday the 13th would mm. just it would dwarf the other two franchise. Right. And that's kind of weird, even though most of those fans would acknowledge that, yeah, Halloween is better and even Halloween 2 is better than a bunch oh, yeah. of a bunch of those movies the best movie in those franchises is better than any movie in, in yes. the jason yes. franchise yeah yes 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 exactly i have a deeper love for like jason lives than pretty much every single nightmare on elm street film aside from maybe the first one but yeah the halloween films the first one is literally better than every single friday the 13th yeah. film yeah. <laughs> and that's the interesting thing but even still yeah no one loves those two franchises more than uh this one which i find very interesting yeah, that was always the question growing up. Freddy versus Jason was not just a movie. It was also a debate topic. And, and that's it wasn't where even that close. came from. Yeah, I, I remember as a kid, and again, like I wasn't a horror kid, so I didn't really have a, a dog in the fight. But yeah, the answer was always Jason. Yep. And, um, you know, may, maybe I just I wasn't around at the right time to, to truly understand that. I, I think I'm, I'm, I was always more gravitated towards... Freddy as an idea. I just think mm-hmm. the idea of like a guy that haunts your dreams and looks yeah. like that is, yeah, I, I just think more interesting. Um, yeah. It's just a better character. And, yes, you know, Michael Myers, similarly, like it's at least rooted in something. And Jason initially was rooted in this idea of like the abandoned child and this sort of forgotten memory and like, you know, all that stuff is there. But, you know, the Halloween franchise never loses sight of the fact that this is a guy that's mentally unstable. Um, mm-hmm. and he's, and he's more than just, yeah, Frankenstein's monster. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it is kind of, it's a strange phenomenon. This thing, all these movies made money. Yes. Um, they're all incredibly short. That yes. was the other thing I, I appreciated about this series. Like they were like Tiny. not only committed to this formula, but committed to the 90 minute runtime. Yes. Um, and maybe that was like an MPAA thing. And I know like a lot of these movies had to cut out some of the more gory scenes and more lewd scenes because of the r rating and that's the one of the one of the the greatest ironies of this franchise is that like some people do think of this as like this super violent uber gory slasher mayhem fest they're really tame yes (laughs) they're incredibly tame yeah by today's standards too absolutely um but that's because of the mpaa yeah because of how much they butchered someone particularly part seven oh really yeah, they they went to town on part seven. You can see a lot of like behind the scenes gore effects that were awesome, but the MPAA is like, no, 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 get rid of all that. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, then actually that makes a lot of sense because I really didn't care for part seven at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, the the sort of factory like efficiency of these things mm-hmm. as a delivery system of a fun ride. Yes, on a Friday night at the cinema is yeah, it's. Uh, it's commendable. Let's put it that way. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is, you know, and it's, I don't know. They, I think the reliability to them and sort of like, like the old buddy's sensibility to it all is, is just kind of what I, I, I love so much about it. Like watching these films, I, I said this to you over, over text. I was like, they just feel cozy to me. Mm. You know, I love part of it is the aesthetic, but it's also just that setting, you know, they're the perfect like bundle up. Ooh, let's watch a horror movie kind of horror movies where you're not going to have a bad time while watching them, but you'll still get the general thrills and also just the the fun sleaziness that some people honestly do want to see when they go to these movies. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, it's <sighs> Yeah, you really shouldn't like these movies. 
it's like 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 I totally understand every criticism that basically everybody has thrown at these movies, but it just doesn't matter to me. It's like these movies just tapped into some some charming nerve that everyone kind of understands and connects to, and I mm. guess that's why they've lasted so long. Uh, all right, should we should we dive in? Yes, let me let me grab my book. That's right. So we are going to start here with uh, uh, Halloween, directed by uh, uh, John Carpenter. Yeah, it's a great little movie. Uh, that's all I got. No, uh, <laughs> Friday the 13th, uh, <laughs> produced and directed by Sean S. Cunningham, written by Victor Miller and starring Betsy Palmer, uh, Adrian King, Harry Crosby, Lori Bartman, Mark Nelson, Janine Taylor, Robbie Morgan, and Kevin Bacon. Kevin shocking, Bacon. shocking cameo. Not even remotely close to the most shocking. Wait till we get to part four. Uh, uh, <laughs> there were two in part four, actually, yeah. that I was pretty shocked by. <laughs> Like part four, it's just like bring in the loony bin. Yep. Just let's yep. go to the local like insane asylum and let's pull all of the guys that want to be actors and put them on the screen. Because to, to me, there's three. I mean, I wouldn't say we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. One of them was like, oh, boy. Oh, God. OK. Anyway, uh, so the plot is a group of teenage camp counselors are murdered one by one by an unknown killer while attempting to reopen an abandoned summer camp. This is going to be a recurring motif. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mrs. Voorhees, of course, the villain in this one. Spoiler alert. Um, yes. But everybody knows by now that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's Jason's mother that is the killer in that first movie because she is seeking revenge against Camp Crystal Lake for allowing the death of her son to happen on their watch. So uh, when these kids uh, are, are, uh, are cabining there for the summer, cabining. is that even a word? Might be. I guess. It is now. Cabin is a verb. Um, yeah. The, she, she uh, arrives and uh, takes them out one by one. Yep. It's a film that was prompted by the success of John Carpenter's Halloween. The film is quite literally, and Sean Cunningham has said this in interviews, we were just trying to cash in on the, that film's success. Mm. Yep, it is, yeah. It, I Even though I rewatched it uh, for the first time in a little while, I guess, um, I don't see it as like a straight-up ripoff, but... Um, I I I definitely see like like what he saw in those in, in in that movie specifically and what he wanted to I I guess play up in this one. Um, yeah, it's funny you say that. I actually thought part two was closer to the vibe of Halloween than part one. I thought so too. Yeah, I I, um, I agree with that too. Something about but, that final chase in part two, where uh, you know, Jason's chasing her to like his little hideaway, the yeah. shrine that he built for his mother in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Um. Like the way that he moved, the way like the the fight sequences played out, the sloppiness to it, the sort of like very wry comedy, not like obvious sense of comedy, but just like the very like, you know, low key, just awareness that this is supposed to be silly. Like that to me just struck me like, oh, that's how the Michael Myers, Laurie Strode fight 
played out at the end of the first Halloween movie. Yep. Like there's just something very Carpenter in the DNA of that one. I, and this one, yeah, I think like plot wise, it had a lot to do with Halloween. But I, I, I actually, you're right. I, I don't see them as like sort of of the same cloth. Yeah. It's sort of like a slight point of contention, but I really do think people, first of all, I don't think they're giving Carpenter enough credit. Um, But I also think they're sort of missing a little bit of what Cunningham was going for here. I mean, he had worked with Wes Craven on Last House on the Left. That was how he got his start, essentially. But that's more of, that's far more disturbing and exploitative. And he didn't really want to do that with this. He wanted to make something that couples could go and see and enjoy. Uh, So it's not nearly as cynical at all. Um, so basically the film is released on May 9th of 1980 to a kind of a mixed critical reception. Some people hated it. Roger Ebert especially fucking hated this movie. And that <laughs> will also be a recurring motif. Don't you worry. Uh, <laughs> but it was an incredible success. Yeah. The movie was made off of a budget of $555,000. It made $59.8 million. It's crazy. Yeah, baby. It's crazy. <laughs> It is uh, so. Aside from being the the first independent film of its kind to secure distribution in the U.S. by a major studio, its box its box office success led to a long series of sequels and and a crossover with the Nightmare on Elm Street film series and a reboot in two thousand nine of the same name. It also has many comic books to its name, a short lived television series, if you can believe really? it. Really? Yep. Yep. Has nothing to do with Jason. It's an, it's an anthology thing. Okay. Um. It also has a pretty beloved video game. <laughs> uh, a couple, right? Or just yeah. one? Yeah. yeah, there's a couple. The most recent is by far the most beloved, even though it's not the best game ever. A lot of people think it's like a shit ton of fun. And I'll tell you what, I have played it, and I'm yeah. not a big video game guy, um, but a friend of mine has an Xbox, and um, or it's a PlayStation, I don't know what it's on, but it, it's you, you play with a bunch of people, you get like a group of like nine, and yep. one of them is Jason. And the other eight are counselors, and you yep. have to figure out a way to break out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is just a total blast. It yep. really is. It's. Uh, I think it's based on another game that sort of has like similar logic. Maybe you would know better than I would, but um, yeah, like I, I just sort of love that that game. It, much like the movies, takes the rules of the universe so seriously. Yes. where it's like you know, Jason can maybe like. He, he, he can knock down the door after a few chops with the axe, but he's not just going to open the knob if it's locked. Yeah, uh, he, he's definitely going to come in through the window, but he's going to throw a friend through the window first. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, and then he's only going to reach in there like just sort of like the dumb movie logic. And also the idea that Jason can just sneak up on you without making a sound. Um, the teleportation. You yeah. Know. The, it, the, it's the- great. Just reveling in just how joyous the dumb fun is. And, you know, that's probably another thing about these movies. It's just the the dumb fun is actually quality dumb fun, if that yeah. makes any sense whatsoever. Um, yeah, I'd also like to talk a little bit about, like, the scholarly elements of this. A lot of contemporary critics have cited Friday the 13th for initiating the subgenre uh, uh, of uh, stalker or slasher film, along with Halloween. Yeah, and uh, I think Halloween gets a little more credit. I yeah, say. no, I, no, it's it's like I guess like there's this uh, cultural film critic called Graham Thompson who considers it as a template along with John Carpenter's Halloween that instigated a rush of films of its type in which young people away from supervision are systematically stalked and murdered by a masked villain. 
And yeah, while contemporary, or not contemporary, but while critical reception has kind of varied a lot over the years, it has attained a significant cult following. And some publications have gone out of their way to consider it amongst the best slasher films ever made, which is, you know, a lot. I I understand why they're putting it on the list, but technic, I mean, in terms of quality, I wouldn't put it up there, but in terms of greatness, okay. Yeah, it's kind of weird. In the 80s, that... um I think that trend was mostly a financial one and it yes. was, you know, on uh, by, uh, you know, by the hand of a, of a very cynical studio system that saw how cheap these things were to make and how much business they would do in the theater. And, you know, I, I think the influence as is often the case in Hollywood was financially motivated. You really see the influence artistically several years and decades later. Um, and I think that's what's notable. Like you look at what happened in the seventies with the American new wave and you see like guys like Scorsese and Coppola influenced by what happened with the French new wave, which was, you know, 10 to 15 years prior when these guys were young and, you know, in film school and studying film as a career. And so it, you know, it was like, Oh, Godard and Truffaut are doing this. We can Mm -hmm. do this in our, uh, in our work as well. Whereas, you know, I don't think filmmakers in the 80s were watching Friday the 13th and thinking, oh, I can do this. (laughs) But guys like Jordan Peele, guys like Ari Aster, 20, 30 years later, were like, oh, I enjoyed this as a kid. Let's make something that future kids will enjoy in the same sort of tongue-in-cheek way. Sort of, yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of that was, you know, nostalgic and you know motivated by what they enjoyed as kids um so like yes it definitely did kick off that wave i'm not sure you really saw the full effect of it until another 20 to 30 years after the fact in terms of its influence yes yeah yeah no it's just saying that like it's the reason all these slasher films became as popular as they were you know, sure. because they were profitable. And it's as simple as that. Right. Not, not even necessarily because they were good. It's just because, Hey, these are big money makers. It's the same way that torture porn became a thing in the two thousands. Right. You know, but so. it, the thing is eventually we figured out that they can be good. Yes. That that's the important thing is eventually we figured that out, but it took a generation of kids that grew up watching these movies to fully understand that. Oh, and and Jason Lives has sort of an interesting influence that we'll talk about. Um, You know, I think, again, I don't think all these movies are bad, but uh, yeah, it's interesting that, (laughs) but I I do find it kind of nice in a way that they looked at these films, which many of them obviously are not very good, but they they loved them so much that they were able to kind of take their templates and run with them in interesting ways, you know. Yeah. Being nice to the crappy films. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I rewatched this one, like I said, for the first time in a while. This was the... Which one? I think this was the third Friday the 13th film I saw. I saw part five after Freddy vs. Jason as a kid. That's an interesting order. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so I was very confused by this franchise for a number of years. And then finally I just said, okay, I got to watch the first one when I was like very, very, very little ordering a pizza from Pizza Hut. I distinctly remember that and not like, like enjoying the movie, but thinking it could have done more, uh, to this day, it's not my favorite by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I actually think the remakes better. Um, I, I will admit, uh, I 
there are things about it now that I sort of appreciated. I definitely got a better sense of the film's atmosphere, uh, its element of isolation, which was pretty palpable. Um, my favorite aspect of the film, aside from Tom Savini's makeup, is uh, I, I, I suppose there's a, there's a really interesting sense of like quiet dread in this movie. And there are long sequences where characters go without realizing anybody has been killed. And it kind of adds a, a nice sense of dramatic irony for, for the majority of the film where it's like someone will die and then you will literally go 10 to 20 minutes before anybody else recognizes that people are slowly dropping off. Right. Very slowly. And that, that, that slow burn effect to me was actually a, a, a little effective, a little more effective than I initially gave it credit for. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about this when we talk about another movie, because I think that you're right. Those early movies are very much dependent on that sense of dramatic irony. And I do think you can only take that so far. Mm-hmm. And what the movies eventually realize is that the characters have to be aware of the movie that they're in or else they're just not going to work. Yep. And, you know, th- that's the thing. Like there are only so many campers you can kill off unwittingly mm-hmm. before it starts getting stale. Yep. Uh, and that's definitely something I picked up on here. The other thing about this movie is because the killer is in secret and yep. you don't know who it is until the end, the movie plays around with point of view a lot. Yes, it does. Um, and so most of the shots just by necessity, it's not even an artistic choice. It's just because we cannot reveal that it's Mrs. Voorhees doing this. We have to shoot the movie from her point of view. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, a lot of characters looking directly into the camera being like, what are you doing here? And then getting <laughs> yeah. stabbed yep. like a bad episode of Scooby-Doo or whatever. And, you know, I, I found that to be sort of limiting as a means of delivering tension. And there are plenty of movies that do it well. Obviously, Jaws is the greatest movie yes. to ever do this. And but but that uh, that specific shot of the shark looking at the naked woman is supposed to sort of be like a fetishistic shot there's a there's a deeper mm-hmm. idea and a deeper meaning to what spielberg is doing in that movie whereas here it's not really for horror it's not to sort of prove any point other than you know we have to conceal this person's identity and this is the easiest way to do it there are still some good jump scares like yeah, when the killer is underneath the bed and stabs the 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 guy uh, laying there like kevin bacon it's a famous it's a famous kill it really is. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kevin. Ba- Actually, it's yeah. similar to Johnny Depp's in uh, yeah. in the Nightmare on Elm Street movie, the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it, there are a couple jump scares and I, I wouldn't call the movie completely unscary, but I, I do think the movie, the, 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 the movie, the movies in the entire series benefit when you are in the victim's point of view as opposed to the killer's point of view. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think part of the problem is that as soon as you see that point of view perspective and someone approaches the camera, you know exactly what's going to happen. Right. Particularly with that one camp counselor who's got like the rain jacket and it's it's just going towards the light. It's like, eh, okay, okay, movie. And that's not effective whatsoever. It's kind of effective at first because you don't know what perspective you're jumping to sometimes. And there are instances where it plays like a little bit of like a a misdirection where it it jumps to the perspective of someone else who's not actually the killer, Mm -hmm. which I kind of like. And I I suppose I appreciate the voyeuristic qualities to it that are a little creepy and unsettling. But like you said, it's only so effective 
Mm-hmm. It, it basically, you know, and this is the other thing about the movie is that while I appreciate its its careful pace, it's a little too slow for me. Yeah, I I was it's, pretty stunned how crummy the filmmaking here was. Yeah, yeah, I, I was like, again, it's independent and it's supposed yeah. to be bad. I and I understand that it's schlocky, but there were shots here that just lingered for an eternity. Yeah. I know. And the lighting was really bad. Like it was hard to tell what was going on. And at times, I was a little bored by it. To be honest with you, yeah. I, I, I guess. Look, I don't consider these movies to be particularly scary. And I don't think like the point no. is a, a thrilling horror experience. I think the idea is supposed to be like a schlocky fun horror experience. Well, um, no, 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 no. Eventually, that's what it is. Yeah, eventually. Initially, no. I think these are definitely trying to go for like a thrilling, scary action, action-y horror. Like there's a difference between what Ari Aster is going for and what, like I, I use this comparison all the time, what Ari Aster was going for versus what uh, David Gordon Green was going for for his most recent Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, sure. De- definitely the case. I-, I found this movie to be neither, though. Like, I-, I wasn't particularly scared by it, nor was I particularly creeped out by the voyeuristic qualities. Mm-hmm. Nor did I have, like, a particularly good time. I Like, <laughs> I, like I was just, I-, I don't know, I was pretty underwhelmed by how crummy this thing was. <laughs> Those long lingering shots are annoying as hell. That That's yeah. the one thing that I take away in terms of the filmmaking. I don't think it's all bad. I think there are plenty instances that, that certainly stick with me and the production is kind of nice and there's a lot of careful cinematography. It, it was not edited particularly well though. That's, that's the greater thing that I picked up on. It's like you, you really needed to trim this thing down. It, sh- it honestly could have been an hour. I think it's like an hour 30 on the dot. Mm. Yeah. So. No, definitely the case. Um, yeah, and like it wasn't shot particularly well. It the, the choreography was really, really, really bad. Oh, when they're like fighting. Oh, oh yeah. my god, the fight at the end. I mean, it's, it's actually hilarious. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and you know that's a big problem with with this movie too, in particular, is that the final girl is so bad, Un- underwhelming as hell. Yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, it's kind of annoying when the final girl is the final girl because of luck and not competence. Yeah, I mean, it's I I would say most movies in a way do that like 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 I part of the, part of the reason why like I guess uh uh Halloween w- works for me is that it is actually by luck, but we she proves to be more competent than we initially thought. Correct. And it's the same way with like Ellen Ripley where it's like we don't realize she's the final girl until she is the final girl. But but she but again, is competent though. She's a badass. In that yeah, that's movie. the difference though. But again, like everybody on that ship is kind of a badass in a way. Yeah, that's the thing. So you 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 don't you don't really think. I remember when I first watched that movie, I expected her to die a lot quicker. And then when she was the last person left alive, I'm like, whoa, okay, it's you, interesting, right? So I, I appreciate that. But the difference is that like um, Laurie Strode and Ellen Ripley are interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and they're compelling leads, and right. you love pretty much everything about them. Um, yeah. Yeah, to to this day, I think the girl the the character's name is Tina. <laughs> There's another Tina later on. Isn't isn't Tina the Carrie figure in part seven? Yeah, yeah, that's right. There might be a couple Tinas. There's a there's a bunch of Tinas, Pauls, Davids. They're everywhere. Yeah, that's that's another problem with the, this series is that the names are just a fucking mess. <laughs> yeah, the characters are are kind of beside the point here. I would say. Yeah. That. I, what I will say, though, is that um, 
there's this big misconception that you watch these movies and all you want to do is see these characters die and that they're all reprehensible pieces of shit. That's true later on in the franchise. I honestly disagree with the earlier movies to a sense. I, 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 there's no one character in this first movie that I'm like particularly jazzed to see go. And that basically carries on, it stops at five. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I want every character in that movie to die. But uh, <laughs> like part six is a great example where I just love hanging out with those people. And I think that's something that correlates with a lot of these movies. It's like even though like the characters are stupid and they do a lot of dumb stuff and they're basically caricatures, there's just this odd affable quality about them that I can't really deny. And there are plenty of instances where I'm like, no, like, like nerdy guy, you got your throat slit. Ugh, right, damn right. it. I'm sorry, man. Adding Tommy Jarvis was a big thing. And yep. we'll talk about that later, but, yep. um, which I yeah. think is also an interesting thing. Cause now we don't ha- well, we'll get to that, but that's a little different and subversive for most horror films. For uh, the, yeah. The, the, the lead to be, you know, him. Sure. Um, yeah, I, it, it's got. I don't know. It, it, this is a weird artifact for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty crazy how quickly they made the sequel after this too. Like it's, every each every of these one movies, of yeah, each of these movies was like a year apart, right? For a while, yep. occasionally yep. you'll get an off year. Um, so it's kind of it's it's funny how quickly these evolved. Especially we're so used to the franchise culture of the 2010s where it seems like a sequel comes out three years after the first movie, sometimes four yeah. years after, and they're exactly. constantly rebooting. You know, this is just a, a movie that's like, all right, we'll just figure it out on set a lot of the time, or we'll figure it out next time. If this one is bad, who cares? We have five <laughs> more coming. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I they, they were definitely working out the kinks here, and it is interesting to see. It, it, but it also is kind of funny. Jason sort of is the villain here. Uh, no way, yeah, oddly. You know, I mean, he, yes and no. Like, I think it's a it's a partnership, yes. <laughs> personally. But, but uh, it, yeah, it, it's kind of just it's funny to look back and you have uh, Mrs. Voorhees saying out loud, "Kill him, mommy! Kill her! Kill her! Don't let her live! Don't let!" Yeah, I'm sure it was hilarious in 1980, uh, but now you know, knowing what ultimately comes of this franchise. Uh, yeah, you definitely need to see this one if you want to understand the other ones. I'd say that. Oh, yeah. I'm honestly surprised you hadn't seen it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think as a film fan, you know, it doesn't matter if the movie's good or bad. Like, this is still, like, a pretty notable part of film history, ironically. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, like it's for better or worse, it is technically a classic, you know. It, it's not something I, I, I love to say about this movie. It still feels wrong, but it kind of fits that definition. And I don't think it's devoid of merit. Like there's like, we'll get to my feelings on Roger Ebert's reviews. It's so funny to me, (laughs) but like these films are, are not like the antichrist. They're just not. Yeah. And no, they're not the enemy. They're not. No, exactly. Exactly. Like, like being totally honest, there is a purity and sort of an odd (laughs) innocence to these movies in loving them anyway. Right. Like, in, yeah, I think that's more the thing. In loving them, there is such an innocence to that appeal. So, mm-hmm. all right, so there yeah, you go. That, that's, that's part one. That, that's, that's part one. It's, yeah, I, uh, on rewatch. Oh. Sorry. Hell yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, on rewatch, I appreciated a few more things about it. I still don't think it's a great movie at all, but it's not, it's not the worst thing ever. It's not the worst in the franchise by a significant margin. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But yeah, now we're moving on to part two that was released not even a year later. Not even a whole year later, mm. which I think is crazy. 1981, it was released. Let me look at this. The first one was May 9th. This was May 1st. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, produced and directed by Steve Miner uh, in his directorial debut. Oh, yeah. Friday the 13th, part two, in case you didn't figure that out. Uh, <laughs> written by Ron Kurz and starring Amy Steele and John Fury. Uh, the film also features the return of Adrian King, Betsy Palmer, and Walt Gorney, who respectively pr- uh, portrayed Alice Hardy, Pamela Voorhees, and Crazy Ralph in the first film. Crazy Ralph is the most like Nico, by the way. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Just that's that's just it's just you. I can see you doing that. Riding that's around me a, on the bike, ride, riding around your bike, telling everyone they're doomed. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, story of this podcast, my friend. Come on. (laughs) What do you think I've been doing for the last seven years? (laughs) Every show, it just, you're all doomed. It's a curse listening to this podcast. (laughs) Anyway, it is that character, dude. (laughs) I love that fucking character. (laughs) What the hell is he doing in these movies? No idea. Anyway, why is he in the closet? (laughs) Why was he in that closet? (laughs) Explain that to me right now. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't like a room with another door, right? It literally was a closet. He was waiting to pop out. (laughs) He was to just warn the the protagonists about their doom. Yes. I can't just ring the bell and be like, you know, hey, doom is coming. It's not very effective if you just ring the doorbell, dude. No, you've got to strike a little fear in your exactly. in your audience mm-hmm. if you really want to motivate them to get the mm-hmm. hell out. Fear with fear, man. Come on. Man, that is a really dumb character. That oh is a really God. fucking stupid character. Stupid ass character. Doesn't last very long though, as well. No. You know. I think for good anyway, reason. Uh yeah, oh yeah. I, I, I believe this is the second installment in the series. Yeah, it could be. I could be wrong. Anyway, uh, Set five years after the events of Friday the 13th, the plot again follows a group of camp counselors who arrive at a training camp near Crystal Lake only to be murdered one by one by an unknown assailant. Sounds familiar. Sounds a little familiar. Yep. Marks the debut of Jason Voorhees as the main antagonist, which uh, is something that the rest of the series will keep, sort of. Not really. Um uh, originally, part two was intended to be an actually an anthology film based on the Friday the 13th superstition. However, after the popularity of the original film's surprise ending, the filmmakers opted to continue the story and mythology surrounding Camp Crystal Lake, a trend which would be repeated in every film in the franchise. And yeah. Yeah, um, yeah again, like I wouldn't have minded that. But that's me. I, I they, know they y'all tried love you, Jason. that, Nico. They they gave it a shot and it didn't work. And well, then you get part. Then you get part nine, which is a crossover with Evil Dead, and it sucks. Really? Yeah, it's a terrible movie. Is Ash in that movie? No, but the Necronomicon is in the daggers. Damn. Yeah. D- did not know that. So, yep, there you go. I mean, they were really just doing like the 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 Marx Brothers meet Frankenstein, but fucking. <laughs> Well, hey, that 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 is not a bad idea, given what Jason ultimately comes to represent. So, yeah, it really is like Scooby Doo esque in you know not just the tone, but like you know when the Pussycat Dolls would come in for three episodes. Yep. And so it was, let's let's see what happens if Jason met up with Carrie. <laughs> Literally, yeah. no, that's how they were pitched. It's crazy. Right. I just love the the stupid pitch meetings that most of these movies must have had. Yeah. What if we did it? But it's in 3D. Oh, my God. Okay. Movie. 
That's a movie. <laughs> De- oh, shut up. We'll get to. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I just gross. didn't know what an eyeball looked like until it was popping out at me. You I know? didn't really know it either. You know, <laughs> really, I didn't even know eyeballs you gotta existed. Understand the texture. I didn't know eyeballs existed before Friday the Thirteenth Part. Gotta three. get a sense of the depth. It's really depth perception is the key to cinema. How about that yo-yo? Anyway, how about it? <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> yep. As I said earlier, uh, released not even a year after the first movie, and it grossed twenty-one point seven million dollars on a budget of $1.25 million and got pretty much all negative reviews. Mm. Yeah. Uh, my, my favorite of the franchise. I love this movie. My, my favorite. Um, not, not my favorite, but it's my third favorite, but I love okay. this movie. I love okay. this movie. Uh, yeah. It feels like, I, I don't know what the director did after this. I know he did part three, right? And I'm not sure he did anything after oh no 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 he did part three he did uh, halloween h2o he did lake placid he's this is the most prolific oh. director of the entire franchise i would say oh okay yeah um okay that that makes sense because it did feel to me like this is a guy that understands the conventions of horror um cheaply yeah. i mean like serviceably i would say it's not even close to the best film in the series but it's uh uh I, maybe in in I don't know. Like, there is definitely an understanding of the, the the thrill of horror in a way that's not present in some of the other ones. That's definitely true. Just visually, um, and sort you know, of, I, yeah. I mentioned that final fight at the end, and you know, mm-hmm. it felt very Michael Myers to me. It felt very John Carpenter. But you know, even the beginning, and I, I don't mean to compare this to Psycho, but About there the is an illusion. Very... There is an illusion to Psycho at the beginning, and the director knows. And this is what great filmmaking is, is he plays around with your perceptions in like a smart way, where as you're watching it, you're thrilled. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, that's like a really clever trick. It's not just a cheap trick. And I got to be honest with you. This is the most scared I've been in any of these movies. Um, hmm. it, it, it by far and away, in my opinion, is this is the most scary movie in the franchise. Really? Oh, I don't find this scary at all. At all, at all. I, I think mean, rel- rel- significantly relatively, relatively. Let's be clear. Well, well that, that's the thing, though. Like I, this one, I just have a blast with. Like, I don't okay. think it's I don't think it's scary at all. I think I think it's it's a it's a shit ton of fun. But the scariest for me, yeah, this is is part four. But we'll I guess we'll get to that. Yeah. But that shower scene at the beginning where the camera pans in, zooms yeah. into the woman taking a shower and you expect, you know, Norman Bates to be on the other side. And then it just keeps teasing out that reveal. I know people don't like the fact that they killed off the 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 uh, last the previous final girl yeah. the, in the first ten minutes of it. And I understand that you know as a in you know on the page doesn't necessarily play that well. No, um, but I I did feel the entire time like I was in good hands. Sure, and that no, is and it, something that I didn't really feel in any of the other movies. To be honest, really? With you. Oh yeah. wow, okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, I I don't think the filmmaking here is as as good as it ultimately gets. It's yeah, I, I I think it's it. There's a blue collar feel to this that definitely understands the conventions, but there's a lot of instances where like that psycho scene is just kind of jankily handled. I like most of the other elements. I actually don't particularly like that one push in you're talking about where she opens the shower. I actually think it's a, it takes me out of the film a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought it was. I, I I like the amount of time they take to ultimately get to the kill and the reveal of the head in the fridge. Mm. All that's great, but 
like that instance, I actually felt like could have been cut out. It doesn't even make a lot of sense to me because the the timing of the the phone ringing is all wrong. So yeah, no, so and the, yeah, the, no, there's I, just a I, lot of. What were you gonna say? No, keep going. I'm sorry. There's just a lot of instances like that where like the supposed scary moments kind of take me out of it. Uh, but when the movie chooses to be more thrilling, especially towards the the the, the last third of the movie, it it really really works. Yeah, I, I get I get what you're saying. It, you know, by the end of this franchise, the kills are so plainly telegraphed to you mm-hmm. um, that I I do sort of appreciate that not every single one of these scenes ended on the same note. Like sure. there were times where like the entire scene just played out. It was like a character getting changed or, you know, a character going for a swim and they just did what they did and mm-hmm. he, they weren't killed until much later on in the movie. And you know, that, that is good horror. It's knowing, you know, when to not scare you. Uh, and you sort of have to balance out those moments. If you're, if you're getting scared every 30 seconds then you're not really getting scared. Sure. Um, so it's about those quiet moments and it's about the lack of, of, of violence. So yeah, I, I look, I, again, I'm not comparing this to a Hitchcock movie by any stretch of the <laughs> imagination, but it, it sort of felt the most traditional or I guess the most familiar to me. I, okay. It, it felt, a, maybe it wasn't necessarily the experience of watching a good horror movie, but it felt like the experience of watching other good horror movies. Sure. sure. Um, so There's that's definitely instances where it works too. Like, like I think of the scene where, uh, they uh they they come inside of the the like the like the power's out and they go into like the main living area and then the the woman's like someone's in here with us and I'm like ooh oh that's great stuff yeah that's great stuff yeah I I really like that instance and then in the scenes where like she's under the bed and then she pees her pants and then she looks up and Jason's right there right and and one of my favorite things about this 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 movie in particular is just how incompetent Jason is yes. Jason fucks up all the time yes. and it's awesome. And it's, it's just like, it, it again, adds a level of tension to, to, to this movie that isn't quite there in a lot of the other ones in any of the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> no, t- totally agree with you. And that's, I think because they lost sight of the fact that Jason is just a confused kid. Yes. He's a, he's a grown man that have, you know, for whatever reason has become like a, a, a super creature. Mm hmm. But initially was just a kid that lost his childhood and, you know, is this big brooding guy trying to get revenge for his mother's murder. Yep. And, and that's and, you, and that's and it. you see and, that pathos yes. in this one, too. You definitely see it in this one, too, especially at the end with the sweater. There's actually something kind of oddly pathetic about that moment. Yes. Which I really like. But at least like it's a resolution that is well considered. Sure. And it, and it feels like. You know, this is only a way that we can defeat Jason Voorhees. Mm-hmm. You know, Freddy Krueger, theoretically, we could tie to a chain and, and put him at the bottom of this lake. Uh, you know, Michael Myers, we can burn to a crisp. Um, you know, there are plenty of guys that we can stab and shoot, but only Jason Voorhees can be defeated by his one weakness. And that weakness is his mother. Like yep. every villain, as corny as it sounds, there's a reason why these rules exist. Every villain needs their kryptonite. You know, yep. at every villain needs that that Achilles heel. And, you know, it feel it felt like they identified that at the end of this movie. And we also had a final girl that understood that. And that good I think, final makes, girl her, too, yeah, I think makes her a very good final girl. But also, you're right. There is something compelling about that climax that is unique to this character alone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, but like at the end when she, when the the girl takes the chainsaw out and he's yeah. afraid of the chainsaw. Exactly, I love like, that moment. It's so refreshing that he's actually backing away because he's actually kind of scared because mm-hmm. he's a kid and he doesn't know that he can't be killed. He doesn't yep. know that he can't be hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, I'm never rooting for Jason by any means, but I, I want to at least see some shred of humanity in the guy. Like you Certainly. gave him a name, you might as well give him some humanity. <laughs> sure. Yeah. There's definitely moments in a, in a way where you sort of oddly feel bad for him. Yes. Or, yeah. Which is which. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which I I I appreciate, and um, I definitely think this movie has a lot going for it in that way. And again, feels. Yeah, I, I think the movie actually does enough with its script because there's actually instances like where they're at the bar and they're dancing and listening to music. It's like like just adds a little sense of real life humanity that is not present in a bunch of these other movies. I and also by the way, I actually really do like these characters. Okay, I, is this I'm, the one with the uh, with the wheelchair the guy guy. in the wheelchair? Yeah, okay. Like these characters a lot. It's actually probably my favorite cast of characters in this entire franchise, with the exception of maybe Jason Lives, but. Um, I actually thought four was was the the best. You like part characters? Four. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, yeah. This is the thing. Like when when you talk about like the franchise with people, the top three are almost always six, four, and two. Yeah, almost always. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. No. It, yeah, you're right for sure. Um, of course, there's a lot of sex. There's a lot of nudity. I, I mean, all of the beats are played out in very familiar fashion. Were you enjoying the sleaziness? Come on. You gotta love the sleaziness. I, yeah, I didn't hate it here. I enjoyed the movie. I actually, I, I did enjoy part two. And again, I yeah. think it is my favorite. And I watched it early enough to not have that bitter taste in my mouth. Because oh, that's what I'm worried about. Because I, I, I really don't think it's the best. I, I, I do like it. And I actually don't think it's an awful movie or anything. But yeah, I, I, I think there are still some shortcomings with the filmmaking. There's still some shortcomings with just like some of the general pacing and there's some dumb moments that don't fully land for me. Mm. But you are definitely right that this movie adds a lot to like the the mythology that's satisfying in a way that the other movies are not. I really enjoy these characters. I enjoy the scares. I mean, the wheelchair kill down the down the steps is like maybe my favorite kill in the entire franchise. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. It, like everything about this movie gives me what I want. I love Jason in this movie. I love the kills. I love the sleaziness. <laughs> and I love the the fact that it is it here's the thing that this movie gets right that the previous movie does not is that it actually feels like a movie about camp counselors trying to reopen a camp. The first one yeah. doesn't feel oh, like that true. at all. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 This actually feels like that aesthetic and I love that aesthetic and that setting. Mm. Um yeah, I think uh, the movie throws away a lot of the goodwill uh in uh in in uh, later installments but yeah, yeah. I, I i dug it i dug okay. it i would go That's, as far to say it's a good movie yeah i think it's a good movie too you just need to dig these movies <laughs> that's all i could say yeah i think of the one i think there are three good movies here personally um yeah i, I i'm a little surprised i guess but at the same time, it's like, oh, that's a cool answer. I do like this movie, though. Okay. Don't get me wrong. Okay. It's 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 a fine choice if it, if it is your favorite. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. I guess we're going to move on to part three. All right. Friday the 13th, part three, released in 1982, directed by Steve Miner, produced by Frank Mancuso Jr. and starring uh, Dana Kimmel, Paul... Kratka uh, and Richard Broker as Jason Voorhees. Uh, it is the third movie, of course. Did you did you realize it was the third movie? Anyway, I picked uh, up on that. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, 
I was I was confused for a second. Uh, said directly after the events of Friday the 13th Part 2, the plot follows a teenage girl and her friends who go on a trip to a, a house near Camp Crystal Lake where a wounded Jason Voorhees takes refuge until reemerging for yet another killing spree. And, yeah, shot and premiered in 3D. <laughs> Marks the debut of Jason's uh, hockey mask, finally. Yeah. That's all it's got going for it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I know there are movies in this franchise that you are offended by. Um, (laughs) And there are the popular ones to hate. Sure. Uh, This was as low as it got for me. Really? Okay. Interesting. I despised this movie. Okay. I really, 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 really hated it. Nico, Um, guess what? Guess yeah. what? What? It's a piece of crap. It's okay. <laughs> it, it's garbage. I mean, it, it really is, yeah. is. It's not good. This one's really bad. Uh, I, I have a. I still have fun watching it, no matter how many times I watch it. But it's it, of of one through four, which are the four pure Friday the Thirteenth films. This is by a significant margin the worst. Yes, really bad. And as I said before, this is the moment that the formula really started getting to me and Mm -hmm. I I started just, you know, focusing on the clothing, focusing on the production design, focusing on all the stuff that I wasn't supposed to focus on. But you know, the the problem here was that actually Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel both said this in their review that we're going to play in a little bit. Um, But these movies aren't particularly surprising. No. And um, like, you know, I I don't want to sound like a philistine or the opposite of a philistine, like a, a, an elitist, when I say that the, ooh, the Friday movies just didn't surprise me, like you know, like a Kubrick film. Yeah, but, but you know, horror is born out of surprise, much like comedy is is born out of surprise. And uh, this movie is just a series of fake outs, mm-hmm. and it's you know, formulaic is one thing, like. I love watching procedural television. I used to watch every episode of CSI because it was familiar. And like, obviously the, the case is different week to week and you have to figure out the puzzle along with the detectives, but there is a comfort to, yep. you know, arriving at the crime scene, taking the DNA, running the fingerprints. Like, you know, that is the, the nature of television. It's the nature of that specific medium mm-hmm. here. It's, they are trying to manipulate you. Yep. They're trying to subvert your expectations, but are failing at doing so because they've played all of these tricks before. Yep. And I, I think that was my major problem with this. The first 45 minutes of this movie are just a series of underwhelming fake outs. Yep. You know, and that is a broader problem with this franchise as well. Until the later movies where it's like, we're just going to get to this in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. But the nature of this story is you've got to kill off every character without the other characters knowing that it's happening, which means you can only do that within a half hour to 45 minute time frame. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you can kill a cop in the first 20 minutes. Maybe you could kill like a hobo, but you know, the meat of this movie is going to be in the last 20 minutes and it's, it, it, they're going to end quick. Yep. Like these movies end actually quicker than you expect them to because there's only so much time you can devote to the actual kills until the later movies. So, yes, the first hour of this movie I just found to be insanely boring. boring. Yep. Yep. I I agree with literally everything you just said. Mm. <laughs> there's not a single thing you just said that is incorrect. No, it, it's 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 funny because the series 
by nature is uninspired, but like this, it's just like going through the motions, no matter how you, you look at it. I mean, it's just rushed out the gate. There's really no other way to put it. This mm-hmm. one just feel like they felt like they wanted to get another Friday movie out. And what are we going to do? We're just going to do the same tricks we did before, except this time, ooh, look at the gimmick of 3D. And that's all it is, is a gimmick. Right. Um, yeah, this, this one offers... N- absolutely nothing new that that's that's the real thing that shocked me about it when i first saw it was that you know the first one's the first one and then the second one i was like okay they're you know i'm peeling that onion a little bit more this one nothing they don't do a single conceivable thing it is just jason and at a camp killing more people Mm. i don't know how else to describe this movie to you that's it. Now, granted, I have plenty of fun with Jason killing people with a 3D camera in front of him. That's fine. <laughs> awesome. And I can enjoy this movie in a marathon. It doesn't offend me like some of the other ones do. Certainly not the way that Jason Takes Manhattan does. Oh, my God. I fucking okay. hate that movie. Okay. But, um, yeah, I would say of the original, yeah, four, this one is the one where I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty damn bad. And it's actually one where I do find the characters pretty fucking annoying. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the 3D stuff is whatever it is. I mean, it's it's yeah. awful, obviously. Um, <laughs> but like you could you could understand this is an 80s gimmick and oh, uh, yeah. it's it's part of the charm and like you know, sometimes it's 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 fun to see a payphone in in the corner of a frame and it's fun to watch how filmmakers used to utilize 3D. And so, you know, it's it's by no means effective or good. In any mm-hmm. way, uh, and actually, the the way that they use three D, the specific shots that they decided to put the three D effect on, I just thought were so obvious and underwhelming, and that was the oh, larger yeah. part of it. It's just you know, there's a metal rod sticking in right into the lens, and oh, like, that's so cool, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, whatever you want to say about James Cameron, like at least the the way that he uses three D in Avatar is novel. Yep. Um, and yeah, there's just none of that there. It's all the most obvious shots. Yeah. Anytime you're watching a movie in 2D and you notice what the shots are supposed to look like in 3D, it's a problem, right? Yep. Oh, no. Oh, I, it takes you right out of it immediately. Right. And that should never be the case. And the, the fact that most of the 3D shots are just like metal rods, like you said, they have one 3D shot, which I imagine which would have been fucking awesome in the theater, which is the the uh, the, the spear gun getting yes. the girl in the eye. Yeah. That's but the thing is that's just a good shot. It's not even just the fact that it's like a good 3D shot. It's like, "Ooh, good idea for 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 the movie." Sure. I like that a lot. But then the eyeball is like <laughs> there are two 3D eyeballs actually. <laughs> There's the hobo po- like giving it to the camera. Oh yeah, 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 is- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so bad. And then there's the one where Jason squeezes his head, which is okay, but the effect is not seamless. So Right. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call that seamless. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just silly and you kinda like I kinda I you know what it, it is? It's like I'm looking at this movie as like 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 my idiot like like roommate who's partying and I'm just like, gee dude, you're having a really bad Saturday. Like, oh my <laughs> god. Like I love you, man. I love you. And like, you know, Taking this in for five minutes is fun, but I've been here for an hour. You need to calm the fuck down. <laughs> you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. You know? <laughs> Sometimes it's just not your night. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Sometimes like the, the <laughs> when the main girl is in the is in the closet and Jason's trying to open the door, he takes the axe. It is so obviously a cardboard door. <laughs> they don't even bother dressing it up at all. It's just a cardboard door. Right. Oh, it's so bad. 
Yeah. Uh, but hey, Jason gets his hockey mask. <laughs> yeah, he does. And this is going to be the most controversial take I've ever had on this show. Why did we have to stick with the hockey mask? Because it looks cool. Yeah, and I'm sure other things would look cool. And it's iconic, Nico. No, it's iconic because they made it iconic. Like they yes, force it as they be- do with everything that's iconic. Yeah, no, but they they forced it down our throats, though. No, you know they what I'm don't. saying? <laughs> like, it, who he could have had a ski mask in the next one, and that might have been iconic. Sure, you know, he had a bag had over a his head. Shatner mask in another one. Like he had a bag it, over his head, and it it's yeah, exactly. It, you could have used a William Shatner mask. You could have used the potato sack. You could have done whatever you want. Ghost face. I don't care. But they stuck with the hockey mask. Yeah, but I'm saying they didn't have to. Yeah, they didn't have to do the William Shatner mask either. Yeah, they were gonna do no. a clown mask, dude. <laughs> but at least that was in the first movie. Like at least they didn't deviate to introduce so it what? in the third movie. Like I, I don't know. Look, Nico, the vast majority had, of the. Fr- the vast majority of the franchise has the hockey mask. I I get it. I'm just trying to picture like the dude in the boardroom, like he was the executive at Paramount or whatever at the time, and he's watching the dailies to part three, and he like stands up out of his chair. The aha moment is hockey mask. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like I. I Do you have like, any I, idea how easy it is to market that shit? Okay maybe you saw something that I wouldn't have seen and that's why I'm not a film executive. But like, I, I, I don't know. Like I just, we'll talk about this when we get to part five, but oh, yeah. um, I, I don't mind when they change it up. Like I, no. I, I just don't mind when you deviate from the formula a little bit. And yeah, the mask he just sort of grabs because his, because one of the kids at the camp was, playing around with it so yeah like, it's i and i don't even disagree it's super underwhelming like how he gets the hockey mask he just kills someone for it right it's it's not like the remake where he he kills somebody and then he's looking for his potato sack and then he discovers the mask and it's like this big cinematic moment that actually sells yeah i mean like why not just kill like a biker next time and just wear a motorcycle helmet for that i mean i don't know I don't Nico, know. You're overthinking, Jason, I guess. You are overthinking the mask dilemma. The hockey mask is cool. It works. That's why they stuck with it. The Simple only, as that. Yeah, okay. It's a, I don't you don't need to overthink this one. The okay. the hockey mask is cool and that's that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh It's I, it. I, like I, what do you I, want? <laughs> <laughs> people is like that's Jason and that's all they needed. Yeah, people like the hockey mask. You own the hockey mask. You painted the hockey mask. It's cool. I'm happy for you guys. I'm happy for you guys. There's no reason why it needed to change. That's my point. Okay. So. Uh, This movie's garbage. I didn't like it at all. Yeah, it is garbage. I I, I enjoy it fine. I I don't think it's a good movie whatsoever. (laughs) Isn't part three also the movie where like the girl met Jason 10 years earlier and they played the flashback in the middle of that movie? Don't worry about it, Nico. God, that's just horrible. <laughs> like, how did they think like that would help the tension of the movie? I don't know. <laughs> By showing that the victim met Jason 10 years ago and he didn't kill her. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You tell I me. I don't know. I was like, no, it's, it, that's another like stupid sort of retconned ish thing that doesn't make any sense to me. And you're right. Like kind of like takes away a lot of the tension of the Jason character. Yeah. It's just yeah. kind of, yeah, it's lame. That's the other, the movie's just fucking lame. Like it's even so the end, lame. like it just, even the ending where she's in like, like a, like a two foot thing of water as Jason's mom. Like, like I know it's a dream sequence, but it's so stupid. 
Mm. Like even for these movies, it's stupid. You know, this one as well is also just the one where it's like they got a little too carried away with the semblance of silliness because there is some silliness in the second one, but it is still by and large a horror film. Mm. Whereas just this one just feels like something I got at like Odd Lots or something. I don't know. Mm. It's just the cheapest possible version of these original four movies. Yeah. So. No, for sure. So yeah, it's it's anyway. a yeah, it's a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's a charming little piece of crap, but it's a piece of crap. Anyway, moving let's on. Move on. Let's move on. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter. Directed Our next by- movie is Friday oh. the Thirteenth, the final chapter, an immoral and reprehensible piece of trash that sold more tickets on its opening weekend than any other movie so far in 1984, and that is a very, very depressing commentary. It really makes me sad to think of all those moviegoers spending four and a half, five bucks, most of them teenage kids, sitting there watching this sad, cynical, depressing movie. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. <laughs> The film is literally about stabbing. In other words, if you like this picture, what you have liked, I believe, is the idea that someone will get a stick put through their body because that's the essence of this movie. The essence of this movie. I love the essence is about stabbing. It's one of the funniest reviews I've ever seen in my life. Man, these two were on another one that episode. Yeah. They were no. just at the top of their fucking games that episode. One of the best things about it is that Gene Siskel's like, you're getting a little soapboxy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He calls out his bullshit. It's, like, it's, Roger's, not, it's not good, Roger, but... Yeah. but <laughs> Roger's going on about how the worldview of this film is going to poison the minds of our youth. <laughs> exactly. But but this is the thing that Roger like completely fucked up on, is that his reaction to the movie is exactly what everybody wanted. Exactly right, yeah. It's like, dude, yeah. It's like, you sound like an 80-year-old man who doesn't like the stuff that the new kids like. Right, right. I, mean, I don't even fully disagree with a lot of the stuff he was saying. No, right? he's one. 100% correct yeah. but yes in, in the essence of what he's saying is wrong that's the difference yeah, exactly right? it's like factually like every observation you've made is is quantifiably true um <laughs> but but you know the fact that you're saying it you are wrong to say it right exactly yeah. exactly yeah you're missing the point entirely yeah it's great to like watch them like 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 get to that that point it's like yes you're right but you could not be more wrong correct that's right. the point. Yes. Uh, it's an incredible review. Try, track down yeah. Siskel and Ebert. Uh, you want to watch the whole thing. It's oh, uh, love the review so much. I love it. it. I love it. I love it. Siskel's there just when he says that this movie is about stabbing. He's miming the stabbing motion. Just it, it, it absolutely killed me. I, I was rolling on the floor when I when I got to that line. It's amazing stuff. I hope it made you feel a little better because I knew you would love that. I was like, oh, wait. I got to show him that review. He's going to love it. <laughs> Man, I could watch those guys. I could watch a playlist of Siskel and Ebert just all day long. It is. It is such shit. comfort food to me. It's an mm-hmm. incredible warm blanket. Yeah, I know. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to our, our feelings uh, on this. By the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with like liking movies where someone's going to like get stabbed. It's a movie. Whatever. 
<laughs> like, like I stabbing. Like, okay, I, I understand. Like, it's depraved and shit, but there's nothing wrong with watching a, a narrative film. There is a distinct difference between watching something like this and watching someone actually get stabbed. It's but, not, but, but I think at all. what he's saying is that this movie is about stabbing. <laughs> oh yeah, it's about stabbing. If, if you were to like do an analysis on the themes of the film. The theme would be stabbing, <laughs> which that's not even. See, that's the thing. It's not even. It's just a. It's an amazing take. It's an amazing about, take, man. I wish I had just an ounce of the of the of the courage that these two had. How can you even bring yourself to say it's literally about stabbing? <laughs> it's like the characters are discussing it and exploring the art of stabbing. It's we like, are not like following in the footsteps of Siskel and Ebert enough. No. I know we're doing like our phony imitation, but we really need to just go out on a limb every once in a while and just, and just you know, be like, you know what the Jason Bourne movies are about? What? Memory. <laughs> <laughs> Literally about memory. Sometimes it just needs to be said. You know what I mean? Like just sometimes the movie's in front of you and no one is saying what's on everyone's mind, which is this is a movie about stabbing. Rocky, this movie is literally about punching. It's <laughs> Scarface. It's a movie about shooting. <laughs> about it that way gene <laughs> Shooting. Yeah, this wow is, this what is just t- the peak of film criticism right here <laughs> oh man <laughs> yep i'm just applying that to everything like the lego movie All right <laughs> literally about legos i mean it is but it's, it's about not. building really what do you think about literally it? about building it's a movie about building <laughs> if you like this you must like building <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, Finding Nemo is a story about swimming. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) I could go off on this review all day. It's so funny. It's just so, it's so funny how deliberately out of touch they are. One more time, Raj. Our next movie is Friday the 13th, the final chapter, an immoral and reprehensible piece of trash that sold more tickets on its opening weekend than any other movie so far in 1980. (laughs) That reminds me, I forgot to mention about part three, just real, real, real quick. You'll love this. Um, let me just read this fact because I have it in front of me. It was the first film to remove E.T. from the number one box office spot and became the second highest grossing horror film in 1982 behind Poltergeist. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and, and E.T. was, it was 82 as well, right? Or was 81? Yep. 82. Uh, 82. Yeah, yeah, Because yep. E.T. like stuck around for a while. Like it was there for months. Yeah, I know. People How were weird. seeing that movie like in the summer of 83. Yeah, and that exactly. it's it's crazy to think that blockbusters had that sort of shelf life. Yeah, it's weird now, but still. Yeah. Anyway, directed by oh yeah yeah that we're talking about the final chapter released in 1984, directed by Joseph Zito, produced again by Frank Mancuso Jr. and starring Kimberly Beck, Corey Feldman, Crispin Glover. It's an amazing one-two punch right there. Yeah, Feldman uh, and Crispin Glover, and and. The rabbi from Seinfeld. 
oh shit holy crap the rabbi or the moil the rabbi let's call him george yeah that's the guy who says uh oh holy jesus christmas shit that guy oh this is a bris a bris is it that one no, no, no. no, no. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking of a different one. <laughs> what rabbi are you talking about? There you know are two the rabbis counts, in Seinfeld. You know the one that counsels Elaine and does the TV show? Oh, 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 yeah, sure. That's the gossipy one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah the one that, yeah, okay. The one that talks about Elaine's problems on the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's call oh, him shit. George. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even notice. I didn't even notice he was in this. Yep. Okay. Yeah, pretty crazy. And yeah, also Ted White. Uh, who plays Jason. Um, picking up immediately after the events of part three, the plot follows a presumed dead Jason Voorhees who escapes from the morgue and returns to Crystal Lake to continue his killing spree. Very new territory for this one. Very, definitely, definitely. very new territory. And, yep. And in fact, they do something that none of the other films attempted, which was to recap the previous movies in the first right. two minutes. <laughs> they always start the same way. Like these movies are notoriously bad at opening. The, yeah. The film. Like they're just yeah. very, they have very bad opening scenes. I love, I mean, how many actually have good opening scenes? I'm trying to count. I like six. part six has a great one and two. I think that's it. Uh, yeah. I like I, two's I, opening I, yeah, scene. I, I, I agree. Six is my favorite opening scene by a ridiculous margin, but uh, yeah. two is also very good. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, so uh, it's the first film to introduce Tommy Jarvis, but he's uh, a young boy and actually ends up serving as a major foil for the rest of the film. Well, uh, two films, anyway. Um, just a little couple facts here. So much like part three, the film was originally supposed to be the final installment in the series. Uh, and Mancuso Jr. wanted to conclude the series as he felt nobody respected him for his assisting work on the series, regardless of how much money these films earned at the box office, as well as wanting to work on other projects. And Paramount actually supported his decision as they were aware of the declining popularity of slasher films. Yeah, yeah, in quotes. Quote, unquote, right. <laughs> but they were they, also... They were on board for about 30 seconds. They were very embarrassed by the property. That being said, when this movie made a shit ton of money, they're like, oh, let's keep doing this. I mean, is Pablo Escobar embarrassed of cocaine? Like, what do you mean embarrassed? Like, No, they, I, they have expressed that they were embarrassed by it. They, they were happy to, to let people do them, but they were anxious to, to basically like, like get them out of the way. They were also they buying yachts on that franchise though. So not, maybe not on the, I mean, Paramount's a big, fr- a big studio. They, they have other like breadwinners besides Friday the 13th. It was the eighties. So. It was tough. I yeah, mean, it was, no. it was tough finding a hit. I don't know. Like it was, it was, you know, right after the seventies, like, you know, you had a lot of yeah garbage, a lot of garbage in the cinemas. Yeah. No, they didn't. They, they were, like pretty embarrassed by it because they had other like respectable properties to their names and they're just like, eh, we don't want that. I mean, they had Indiana Jones, man. So oh, that's a good point. So yeah, it is, uh, it, it, it made a, a pretty decent amount of money though. And that's why they wanted to keep it. It grossed uh, $33 million off of a $2.2 million budget, which is pretty great. It is the fourth most attended Friday, the 13th film in the entire series, uh, still received negative reviews. Go figure. Um, <laughs> And yeah, it, uh, despite being billed as the final chapter, yeah, of course they didn't stop making these movies. Right. Uh, despite the negative reviews, it is also widely considered to be one of, if not the best, in the entire series. Uh, Contemporary yeah. reviews, anyway. yeah. Certainly by the fan community. 
a couple things I noticed. As I said, I I dig this cast. Yep. I think Crispin Glover is a very interesting performer, if not always a great one. <laughs> I don't think he's bad in this movie, but it's a choice. <laughs> he's making choices, and that's more than can be said for a lot of the characters in this franchise. So yep. credit to him. I mean, look, him just dancing. Oh, my when God, he's that with the dance girl. number so good. Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. This franchise needs more of those moments. And, yes, um, I agree. You know, I appreciated that. Also seemed like they upped the gore significantly in this one. They upped the nudity. Um, and, you know, I dug that. Like, the, the last thing we need is a uh, is a watered-down Friday the 13th movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if you're going to go for it, go for it. And uh, I definitely did appreciate that. Um, th- this it was the first movie where uh, I, I got the sense that the people writing it and the people directing it picked up on the shortcomings of this formula and made a a conscious effort to change the formula in subtle ways, but in still significant ways. Uh, As I said before, like there's only so far you can take this idea of campers getting killed unwittingly. Yep. Um, You know, here's the thing about horror, right? Like there is horror experienced, by the viewer and there is horror experienced by the characters Mm -hmm. and sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't. But the first three of these movies, you know, the fear is not derived by what the characters are going through. The fear is derived by what you might see. Yes. Um, Something that often happens in these movies is a character will discover a dead body and Jason will pop up right behind them and kill them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you've seen this trope in, in thousands of horror movies over the years. But I always thought that was sort of the least interesting thing you can do to a character once they've discovered that the other characters are getting killed. It's like finally you are making the character aware of the movie that they're in and they have to contend with the horror of their friend lying on the ground. Let's sit with them for a little while. Yeah. Let's experience the fear that they're experiencing in that moment rather than just Jason popping up behind them and slitting their throat. It's like you've let them off the hook and you've let us off the hook. Um, And I think this is the first movie where, first of all, you have a character that is aware that Jason is out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I forget that character's name, but he's actually camping out in the woods trying to hunt Jason. And he's telling the characters in the movie that Jason is out there. So you've got a character aware of what's happening and that is, there's actually a sense of conflict. There's actually a sense of urgency on the part of the character. And also you have interesting stuff with point of view. Um, it's not always, you're not always in Jason's point of view. You're not always in Jason's mother's point of view, like in the yep. first movie. Um, you are actually, you know, experiencing the terror of being trapped in a cabin with no uh, way out uh, with the people as they are experiencing it. And there is at least an effort. It's not it's not always successful, but the filmmakers are trying to give you a sense of what that's like. Yep. Yep. Um, I agree. <clears throat> and I thought that was really important. There's a shot in this movie where th- there are two characters left. The 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 scorned brother who's trying to hunt Jason and our final girl whose names I'm blanking out, but the names aren't important. And there's a moment where Jason kills that scorned brother character and it's not shot from the point of view of the guy getting killed or the point of view of Jason, it's shot from the point of view of the girl at the top of the staircase watching it happen. 
Yep. And I thought that's the first time in this franchise where it was clear to me this director understands how to play with point of view mm-hmm. and this guy understands that true horror is not objective. It's not omniscient. It's not eye of God. It's <laughs> the eye of the people on the ground. And the idea of what could happen to me is more terrifying than what ultimately happens to me. By the time a character gets killed, by the time they get stabbed, by the time they get their head chopped off, they're dead. It's over. You see it. Terror is what is unknown. It's not what's known. Um, and I, I just I appreciated just on a subtle level what the directors were trying to do. It's not a perfect movie. It's still hella formulaic. I still think the first 45 minutes drag a lot. But we're we're moving in the right direction here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. This to me is basically everything you just said where it's like the, the, the horror of the movie is considered in a way that it is not in the other ones, certainly. And a lot of that is the point of view. Just that scene you were talking about. Uh, where uh, Tommy's sister is watching her friend get killed. She goes upstairs and then just stands at the top of the stairs in fear. She doesn't actually like run away immediately. She's like, I don't, I'm so panicked. I don't know what to do right now. Mm. And she actually goes back downstairs to see if the guy is like, like still alive <laughs> when clearly he's not. It's really they, effective though, because you're, yeah. you're right. You're, you don't know if he's alive or not because they, they don't show you every cut and every slice in like, like extreme close up. And it works like what these guys don't understand, what most horror filmmakers, frankly, don't understand is that, yeah, withholding some of that visually is more effective than showing it. I agree. Yeah. And like I said, this movie is it's just different in the way it like handles the, the those those horrifying elements and even the the kills. I think there's a greater emphasis on atmosphere in this one, although it doesn't have the best atmosphere in, in the entire franchise. It definitely there's just something a little like more sinister about this one. Jason is intimidating in this movie in a way that he is not in like certainly part three. Oh my God. Um, but like, like just the way the kills are shot and how like quick and blunt they are and how gruesome they are, but how like, like I also said, how quickly they are to get away from it. It's just really like effective and it kind of makes you jump back. And then even just to just the scenes where Jason is stalking and the attention to the lighting of the scene and how literally dark it is at times, it's creepy. I actually find this one to of all of them to be the only one that kind of scares me from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. I just think the, the it's not so much like the fu- like part two is fun. You know, it's to me, it's more of like a thrilling experience, whereas like this one feels like a, a, a full fledged horror movie experience where it's like I'm watching this and I'm kind of on the edge of my seat and I'm getting scared as I'm as, as I'm watching it. It's just different. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think of the original for this one is the best Friday. The, it, to me, it's the best pure Friday the 13th film. Because after this, they start really changing things and it doesn't have the same identity that it used to. But of those, I don't know, unaltered, (laughs) overly formulaic Friday the 13th films, this is the one that kind of got everything as as well refined as it possibly could. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, it's not a perfect movie. I I don't think I have even as much affection for it as you do. Um, Because, you know, again, like the movie ends very quickly. It yes, starts it very late and it ends very quick. Um, and you know, I think part six, which I don't know, is that the consensus? Number one, it's, it's definitely the one yep. that I've heard the most, uh, as like the cult classic of the bunch. It is. Yes. Uh, but you know, that, that movie, I think like it, it understands pacing a lot better than, than these earlier movies do, but 
if you're going to follow that formula, this is the way to do it. The kills are good. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, the nudity is compelling. Uh, no, but this, I, I, I'm actually not like fully on board. Like the first 45 minutes work for me because I actually do enjoy this cast. Okay. And, and I enjoy their shenanigans. And like I said, the, again, I hate to say it, but the sleaziness is very satisfying in this. And it's yeah. just, it, it's just naturally entertaining to see these these characters like one up each other and, and talk shit to one another and like the whole dead fuck plot line. <laughs> there were many arcs in this movie. <laughs> yeah, there were. There yeah, were. Which I actually yeah. appreciate. I like I like the quote unquote virgin character and like there's something sweet about what she goes through with her boyfriend, even though again mm. it's not it's not fucking Shakespeare, but <laughs> Yeah, and all the plot lines do end the same way. <laughs> Sure. No, exactly. But again, it's also why the kills are a little more effective in this because I actually feel bad for the people in this movie. Yeah. I really yeah, for do. Sure. Yeah. You know, the, I, I was a little confused as to which character was which. Are there twins in this movie? Yes, there are. Okay. That confused me because I don't, I don't I, know if they ever made that clear. No, they basically, you know, the scene where Chris McGlover and his buddy are like, there's two of them. Oh, yeah. They okay. do that. Yeah. That was, that was a little moment. Uh, yeah, there you go. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, look, we're, we're, we're judging this on a very specific scale, I guess. And that is the scale of Jason Voorhees and, uh, what makes a good Jason movie and a bad one. And yeah, I think overall, this is a good Jason movie, if not a great movie movie. I wouldn't say it's a great, I, I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie, but, uh, it, yeah, as, as far as a Jason movie is concerned, I think it's the, like I said, the best pure form. Yeah. I, and I also like the ending, too. I think the ending is compelling because I think the Corey Feldman character is compelling. Yep. And maybe and I, even more compelling as a child than he is as an adult. I agree. I love the way they foiled Jason. And it's it's exciting and it's incredibly memorable. That's the mm-hmm. other thing is that there's a lot of just like set pieces that just stick with you. And they are like thrilling. And also it's nice to watch Jason run after people. Right. <laughs> Watching Jason run after people always freaks me out. It's because, again, like I, I was used to seeing like the slower version of him when I was a kid. And then when I yeah. watched this, they freaked me out even more. And I'm like, he's not supposed to be doing that. And yeah, it's 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 the same reason why I find Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the scene where Leatherface is running after the girl. So, so thrilling because I traditionally these killers should not be doing that, but they are. And it just makes the scene all the more freaky. Right. Yeah. Oh when God. they're too when when a character is too fast or too slow for what they look like, it is always unsettling. Here's the thing. When they're slower, it actually makes you think they're, they're going to catch them more. Does that yeah. make sense? There's just yes. like, a, there's like a confidence to the killer. Right. Does that make any sense? I totally, it's like, it okay. follows. Okay. Okay. I mean, so, yeah. it, it, it follows has that exact same logic. It's sure. just going to, yep. it's going to keep coming and it's not in any hurry. Okay. You yep. might be in a hurry, but they're not in any hurry. It's tortoise in yep. the hair, right? It's like, yeah, I'm going to get you. Yep. Right. I love that. Um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, it's good. And, uh, <laughs> Corey Feldman, like beating Jason's head in with a machete and saying, die, die, die. I just think is a perfect metaphor for this series. Well, I have a, a story about that, but I'd like to mention how much I love Corey Feldman in this movie as well. Yeah. There, my, some people don't like this scene, but where he's actually like peeping and watching the girl strip and yeah. the way he performs by like beating his head into the, oh, it's great is so accurate. Yeah. I'm telling like, you, like, I, they, they somehow found the two craziest actors of this generation <coughs> and put them in a movie together. It's really amazing. The Chris, the, yeah, that one, two punch is really wonderful. And I, like <laughs> I said, I, I could watch Crispin Glover in this movie all day and you know, 
Why don't you I can watch Crispin Clever all day? The, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's too good. It's too good. Why don't you put it in your little computer? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he says that so many times. Am I a dead fuck? Yeah. I'd like to give you a story about um, Gord Feldman beating those sandbags. So the film had a very tr- troubled product, uh, production. And as a result, the director's, as a result of the director's poor treatment towards everyone involved. And that was kind of brought on by his frustration with the film's budget. But many of the actors had to perform uncomfortable or dangerous stunts in the movie. Uh, Judy Aronson was required to remain submerged in a highly freezing lake in which she later <laughs> developed hypothermia because of it. Uh, and Peter Barton was genuinely slammed against the shower wall when Jason attacks him, which is an excellent kill. But uh, you sort of understand why it, so- it sold so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted White, who portrays Jason Voorhees, defended several of the actors by requesting Barton to have a crash pad and threatening to quit when uh, Zito refused to remove Aronson from the cold lake in between takes. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> White I love and- a toxic set. Oh, my God. It's you crazy. Know, I, just, I just love an abusive filmmaker. <laughs> I cannot stand these guys. It's like, you fucking asshole. But it is interesting. Uh, so White and Zito I'm not sure mean, how method they have to go. Like, I'm not sure, like, it's Kubrick tormenting Shelley Duvall. No. In, no. In the Shining. You know, that's, you're making a fucking Jason Voorhees <clears throat> movie, dude. No, that's the thing. He was just being an asshole, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, uh, White and Zito maintained hostile uh, uh, on set, resulting in White demanding his name be removed from the credits. According to White, Corey Feldman maintained a bratty attitude on set as a result of Zito's treatment. When filming the scene of Tommy hacking at Jason's body, uh, which were two sandbags he was striking, Feldman pretended the sandbags were Zito. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, uh... Oh, to make a film in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Poor guys. Poor guys. I, I feel bad for Corey Feldman. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I definitely do, too. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense watching this movie, seeing where he ended up. Um, yeah. Poor guy. He's good <laughs> He's in this movie, though. Yeah, I, it, was, it was smart putting a kid in the movie. Like, you just got to change up the protagonist a little bit. And, I agree. you know, finally they, they found one that worked. And I like how the protagonist switches up. Like I said, it's interesting to for the final girl to kind of be removed from this series briefly yes. anyway. I, th- yeah. I, th- I always thought that was interesting. It sort of defines these movies in a way that, that's that's separate from like Halloween or, or Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. So yeah. Now cool. what are we going to do? You want to briefly talk about part five? Uh, yeah. We're, you have not nominated it. Uh no, nope. but I, I did watch it, and I think it is worth noting uh, that you hate it. Yes, I don't like it. it well, tell me why. Uh, I I don't want to say I hate it. It's not my most hated. I'll put it that way. I, I definitely hate Jason Takes Manhattan more. Um, this one just oh boy. I mean, you can maybe watch it ironically and like it. It's yeah. it's funny. I don't know. Uh, the bikers are funny. I guess. <laughs> I just find it obnoxious, man. Okay. I find it insanely obnoxious. Uh, I don't care about the Roy Batty thing. I mean, I know some people do. That's not really has nothing to do why I don't like it. Okay. 
I just find this movie annoying. It's one of those movies where everything about it is just grating and I can't stand the characters aside from uh, the kid and his brother. Those guys are great. But um, yeah, most of the time this movie just gets on my nerves and I don't, I think the kills suck. Mm-hmm. I think the setting is not nearly as distinct as the other movies. It is gross and nasty. Uh, I think the 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 nudity is a little exploitative, even even more so than the rest of the movies. <coughs> Did you catch you're, COVID from? You're over giving Jitsu? me COVID. Jesus Christ, dude! What are you doing? <laughs> I need like a glass of water over here. <laughs> but yeah, like like. It's also, I mean, it stands. This movie was directed by a porn director, so what do you want? Is that right? Yeah. Oh. I just Um, think it's like, it's as strange as it is to say, it's almost too filthy for for me. Okay. I I do think like it it is definitely peak 80s glossiness. Yeah. You know, it it is the most 80s, I think. And the film series is very 80s. Like the opening has that, you know, uh, heavy synth music. All of them start that way. And the title cards are very 80s. They're actually more 80s than they are horror. Um, yeah. And I love yeah. Harry. Harry Menfredini's music is like my favorite thing about this stuff, too. It's, it's not always perfect, but oh, my God, like like the first uh, four movies, I love his score. And then six is by far my favorite score that he did. It's just oh, I just love the way it, it gives character to these movies. Mm. Um, but it is the first movie in the franchise that Tommy Jarvis is an adult. There are two of them after uh, part four. And so he sort of becomes a de facto protagonist of the series for a couple movies. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, look, I understand that it is bad in like most every way. (laughs) And, you know, the jokes don't land. And it's yeah, the the rednecks are really like gross. And like the the whole idea of setting this thing at a mental institution is just just very weird. It doesn't play well. But if I am grasping at straws for pathos rooting this movie in the trauma that Tommy Jarvis experienced in the last one is at least somewhat compelling. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think the, a common theme that I, I, I was getting as I, as I marathon this series is I am in desperate search for a, yeah. for a hero. I'm in desperate search for a guy that I can relate with. Sure. And, uh, this movie at least delivers on that. And yeah, I guess people are mad about the Roy thing. This uh, spoiler alert: uh, we come to find out that in this movie, Jason is actually dead, and that a uh, a cop whose son was murdered decides to go rogue and seek vengeance on all of the people living at this mental institution with his former son or his mm-hmm. son that was just killed, recently deceased son. Uh, and he assumes the mantle of Jason, like you've seen in many other horror movies of the kind. It's kind of funny. Halfway through well, this movie, I started thinking to myself, why haven't they done this? Why haven't they like changed the identity of Jason? Uh, oh, really? Change it up. And yeah, I actually thought that halfway through and it's kind of funny. It, it happened by the end of it. Um, you know, I, I didn't mind it. I, I didn't I didn't mind it at all. Uh, yeah. I, 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 you know. I don't mind when they play with the formula because I'm not too precious about the formula, but I know a lot of people are. And I understand I why people don't like this movie. Yeah, I, I don't think the way they changed the formula is particularly effective, though. Like, it's fine. It's commendable that they tried, but uh, it didn't work. It's like all the all the shots that they took missed wildly. Mm-hmm. And it, I just think it's a tremendous waste of time, this movie, yeah. at the end of the day. Like, you can skip it. Honestly, the movie sure. makes more sense to me if you skip it sure. because of that whole like we cremated Jason and then you see the sixth movie. You're like, what yeah. the fuck? What are they talking about? 
Sure. And Tommy Jarvis, the actor that plays him, changes in part six, too. So, like, there's not a ton of continuity there. And I really don't like the actor who played Tommy Jarvis in uh, part five. I just, like, so deeply unlikable. Yeah. I I do think there's something there, though, and the ending hints at this. The, like, Will Graham-Hannibal Lecter relationship of, like there's a thin line between cop and criminal or there's a thin line between hero and villain and sort of how Tommy Jarvis is both like traumatized by his experience with Jason and hates him and wants to kill him, but also is like weirdly seduced by his methodology. And by the end of the movie, it sort of hints at the fact that Tommy may be a killer himself. Like the soul of Jason has almost invaded his psyche. Um, (laughs) They never end up doing anything with that, but I do think that it is an interesting note. You haven't you haven't seen uh, Jason goes to hell, okay? Where yes, Jason literally infects people's souls. Great. So yeah, uh, I, I may watch that movie in a couple of days. I have plenty of time. Jason goes to hell. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, we didn't nominate that movie. So what are we actually talking about here? We're moving on to the one and only Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Jason Lives from 1986, directed by Tom McLaughlin, uh, starring Tom Matthews, Jennifer Cook, David Kagan, and C.J. Graham as Jason. Uh, It is the sixth installment in the Friday the 13th film series, of course, and it is the last one to feature Tommy Jarvis as the protagonist. Uh, The plot, uh, continuing on from the events of Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, sort of. The plot follows Jason Voorhees as he is unwittingly resurrected by Tommy and returns to Crystal Lake for a new killing spree Uh, while Tommy attempts to stop him once and for all. Uh, (laughs) Yep. I love this movie. I I love this movie. Yeah, you've mentioned. Uh, (laughs) But it's, it's... so obviously my favorite in the series. And I think you were probably watching that and you're like, of course, <laughs> like instantaneously, yeah, like, definitely. yeah, of, of course it's, it's his favorite. Uh, it's, it's the fast five of this franchise. Yes. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Fast five. Uh, it is. It is the first movie where the characters are explicitly self-aware that they're in a horror movie. All of the characters know who Jason is. They know the myth. Um, and this thing is sort of a mix of horror action and comedy. Uh, yep. You know, if we're measuring this in terms of scares, I mean, there's nothing terrifying about this no. movie at all. Nothing. Nope. Uh, but it is definitely the most fun. It is definitely right. the most competent mm-hmm. in terms of just action filmmaking. Yep. Every note lands. Every yep. kill is punctuated with a sound effect, mm-hmm. and that sound effect works. You know, every shot elicits the type of reaction that it's intending for, which is a double-edged sword. Because sure, uh, you know, you can I think appreciate this as the most well-made of the series, which it is. But you do lose a little bit of that, like that grimy charm. Yep, that's and that's I think why I prefer part two to this one. Which is fair, no, and I was going to talk about that. There, there are various camps with this movie because it is not. It's by and large the fan favorite. Like most people, critics and fans consider this the best. Um, while they consider it the best, that may not necessarily mean it's their favorite. And a lot of that is for exactly the reasons you just explained. Is because a lot of people love the grimy charm of part two and part four. Um, 
they sort of like like the the sleaziness and they like the fact that you know it's kind of crappy it's cheap but there's an endearing quality to them than how they they keep getting made despite how cheap they are but they they see this one and they're like oh it's it's a good movie i don't mm. know how i feel about that yeah <laughs> That's the issue. It's like, okay, do you do you want a good movie or do you want the 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 cheap crap that you love? You know, you want a Jason movie in the back alleyway. It's thick. My takeaway is that like why I sort of dissent from that opinion is that it's a Jason movie. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. a Jason movie. As a matter of fact, it's more a Jason movie than I would honestly say part three and definitely part five, and in some ways even um, part four, just because. It actually takes place on Friday the 13th. Okay. <laughs> it actually takes place at a camp and Fair there enough. are camp counselors and there are children. Fair enough. <laughs> it's the first movie to actually do that. Yeah, that's that's true. Good point. It has um, not the most disturbing kills, but some of the most inventive kills, I would say, in the franchise. Mm-hmm. And honestly, guys, at the end of the day, like you just have to be honest with yourself. You're going to these movies for Jason, for the kills, but also just like the thrill of the story. Even if the story is not necessarily grade A cinema, it's fun. And this movie is pretty much all of that. And at the end of the day, I just want a well-made movie that is a shit ton of fun. And that's this movie by and large. Yeah, uh, you can feel the director winking at the audience during it. And that's not always a bad thing. I think in movies like this, certainly in the Fast and Furious movie, self-awareness has been key. Uh, and I, I think it's no different here. There are instances the, where it, it doesn't work perfectly. Sure. Um, you know, the, the movie opens up with a title credit that is a parody of the James Bond opening. Yep. <laughs> like Jason is, you know, walking and the sort of the screen sort of fades into this red like blood, similar to yep. how, you know, when Bond shoots the camera and it's, uh, you know, th- th- there's a lot of that just very knowing cultural yep. stuff. Uh, I mean, there is a line in this movie where an adult is explaining to a kid at this camp that her friends are playing a prank on her and leaving a machete that's bloodied because grownups think it's funny to be scared. Yep. And the daughter, the, the, the little girl asks, grownups think it's funny to be scared? And like, that's just such a... That's a perfect line of dialogue. Like that just tells you everything you need to know, not just about the characters, but also the mission statement of this movie and the fandom surrounding the movie. It's just so clever and smart. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, at the beginning when the, the woman is on the road and she sees Jason in the middle of the road and (laughs) she says, I've seen enough horror movies to know that a, a weirdo with a mask is, is bad ne- news. Never friendly. Never also, friendly. Played by Tom McLaughlin's wife. Uh, oh, cool. Yep. Like, Finally, like, though, a, a character that understands movie logic. This is the thing about the movie, too, is that like it's very considered. And the script mm-hmm. is super considered. And it's not like cynical meta it's fun like like let's just play with this kind of meta right it's like even if it can get silly like the guy looking at the camera saying people have a really strange idea of entertainment which is a little too obvious for me yeah it would have it would have worked fine if he just like like kept digging and never looked at the camera right but again i deeply appreciate this movie's awareness because at this point you're right i think most people just wanted the 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 series to kind of like 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 not take itself too seriously because it has been so dumb uh, basically for the entire, basically every prior entry. Everyone mm-hmm. was aware of the fact that this is a really, really stupid franchise. So 
how do we redeem it? Okay, we we understand what we are <laughs> and just play it up, yeah. you know, and that actually ends up making it better. And man, like it's got good atmosphere, and it's yes. the the pacing is really good, and it's really well edited, and I think its handling of tone is pretty spot on. Yeah, um, it's got my favorite Jason. It's got some of my favorite kills. It is funny as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got some of my favorite characters. I love the Tommy Jarvis hero in this. It's got the best opening by a mile. Oh my God, yes. that opening is so good. Look, it does end with uh, uh, the corpse of Jason being struck by lightning and and coming back as a like hybrid zombie creature. And, uh, yeah. you know, you got to buy in at the beginning. But yeah, as as far as those openings go, it definitely does work. Well, the interesting thing is that like this movie actually has a vision. <laughs> yes. Tom McLaughlin actually had a vision for this movie and that he wanted to take Jason and treat him like Frankenstein. He mm-hmm. wanted the movie to echo those classic universal monster movies, which is why you have the lightning bolt hitting the grave robbers. Mm-hmm. Is essentially what that scene is, is is referencing. And then you have, you know, like the the fact that he is this undead corpse brought back and he's super strong and he's kind of hulking is similar to Frankenstein. But also its attempts at atmosphere echo a lot of like gothic horror movies that uh, Tom McLaughlin was very interested in. So it's like, but also he was given free reign to do whatever he wanted. This mm-hmm. is one of the few instances where it's like, here's a blank check kid, make your Jason movie, which mm. I love that. I just love seeing a guy like playing in a sandbox like he clearly is here. Yeah, I, I wish this franchise did more of that. Yep. And I, I hope that if they ever reboot it again, which is inevitable because everything that is dead, much like Jason Voorhees, is never actually dead. Yep. Um, I, I do hope that they give it to a Jordan Peele. I hope they they give it to, you know, uh, a, uh, you know, even like a David Gordon Green, like a, a, a filmmaker that grew up with these films that understands the spirit of it, but has their own unique take within the realm of this world. Yep, I agree. Um, but that's what we yeah. hoped for too. No, that's sure. the thing. The, the the biggest flaw of this movie is that it is as good as it is because the rest of this franchise is kind of terrible. Yes, it it almost promised too much, and yes. that's that that's that that's the greatest failing of this movie. Ironically, is that like yeah, you delivered on everything and more, and you yeah, thank you. It's a good movie. We have a good mm-hmm. movie now, and even Gene Siskel's like, it's funny in Gene Siskel's review, he's like. Yeah, okay, it's the best in the franchise. It's the most well-made, but it's still the most formulaic. It's still it's still bad, right? That's how it comes off. It's like he's right. not willing he's not willing to admit that it's actually a, a pretty okay movie. Well, it, it is still a movie about stabbing after all. I, oh uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Let's not forget that. <laughs> yeah, but it's also just like it's smart. It's, it's yes. like it's finally a character at the end of this movie, the the cop when Jason's chasing him, he just runs. Yes. <laughs> and he just and he runs without tripping over himself. Yes. It's great. And it's like, would it kill you to occasionally throw in a competent horror character that just dies because Jason's fucking good at killing people? Why yes. is it always that the people are idiots, therefore Jason catches them? I, you know, that, I know, that's what this movie nails. It's like there's just a chase that goes on for a while because he's good at running away. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're supposed to do if you find Jason. You're not supposed to hit him with a branch. Nope. You're not supposed to try to outsmart the just guy. Run the fuck away. Just fucking run in one direction <laughs> and don't turn. Don't make a, a stupid turn. Just run. Yes, exactly. It's fi- like finally, like a movie that uh, that just irons out the kinks. You know, that's what this movie does. Yes, um, and it does it well. And you're right. 
it 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 never lives up to that promise in the later movies, and that is sort of the tragedy of those later films. Um, but I think also in hindsight, yeah, it makes those earlier movies lose a bit of their luster. It's uh, right in the middle, and I under yeah. I under I totally understand why like someone would watch this and be like, it's it's lacking that 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 sleaziness that I loved in the first two. This one has no nudity. That's true. Yeah, that's true. There's no nudity. There's a sex scene, but it's a funny sex scene. And oh my God, where she's like, it's only 10 more minutes. His reaction is yeah. one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way he turns and looks up at her. Oh my <laughs> God, it's so funny. But also yeah. that's a scene that like just recognizes like real world logic too. Like the scene where it's like they unplug the car and it doesn't start immediately. He's like, oh, he's, and he's like, oh, it's not happening. It's like, yeah, but those things have external batteries that you can just flip on. So drive. And, and yeah, and she finds it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It's like, okay, good. Gone. Yeah. But then of course Jason sneaks on and you got like one of the more iconic kills in the, in the franchise. Oh yeah. Good kill. That's a good one where her face goes through the wall. I love that stuff so much. But also again, like, like just the endearing quality to a lot of these characters, like, like the police officer, like you said, how when he does just run away, he knows exactly what to do. But the reason he dies is because he was trying to save his daughter. It's like, right. Thank you movie for yes. like making me feel for these people. Then that's the other thing. It just works in the same way. Like, like an action movie works. It's that right. kind of connection with the characters. There's nothing wrong with grounding these movies. Like these movies no. can be grounded and um, the, the right things need to be grounded. Yeah, Not everything that, needs to be grounded, but, but some things sure. do. But that's what's just so frustrating. This, it's it's a movie that begins with Jason's corpse becoming yes. a, a, a zombie because it gets hit by lightning. So yeah. yes, obviously, but yes, certain things are not grounded. The 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 lightning bolt was grounded. That was the only thing that was grounded in that first scene. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Like the 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 character beats, the logic. Like yeah, yep. Would it kill you to just get that shit right? It doesn't take yeah. much effort. It doesn't no, take much. There is a ton of craftsmanship and a ton of effort to this movie. It felt like Tom McLaughlin wanted to make a, a solid movie. It felt like, right. yeah, like I said before, he had a vision. He was not being lazy when he made this movie mm. and like everything about it feels pretty top notch for this franchise. I, I, I really do love it. And um, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say about the, I, I love the, 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 the note he was given by the studio where it's like, you can make fun of everything in the movie. Just don't make fun of Jason. And that's mm. it. And that sort of forms the basis for his direction moving forward in a lot of ways. And the writing. This movie inspired Kevin J. Williamson for Scream. Oh, really? Fun fact. Yep. Yeah. That sort of is like a precursor to that in a lot of ways. And you can see it. Hmm. You know? Uh, yeah. I, I think it works. And I, you, you've called this one your favorite. No, Many people have said favorite. this is the best. And uh, I buy it. Mm -hmm. I buy it. Yep. Yep. What do you want, man? This It's like a Halloween staple for me. It's just, this is a comfort blanket movie. I throw it on and I always have a good time no matter what. Also, I just love the music and you just how percussive it is with that opening. We haven't mm. talked about the music at all in no. these movies, but the music is like really good in this series. Yes. It's the by far like the most consistently good thing about the series. Yeah. Yeah. Harry Manfredini and just like, I love what the critics said, like his nervous and anxious score. I'm like, ooh, that's a good description for what they are. It's, it also echoes a lot of like uh, Psycho and whatnot while mm -hmm. changing it up, but significantly still. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I've always uh, lo loved the distinctness of, of, of his music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of the better things about it. So yeah. Jason Lives, man. One of my favorites. All right, let's just wrap this turkey up. <laughs> this is the longest fucking podcast we've ever done. 
Oh yeah, it is. You're welcome. Oh my goodness. You're very welcome. We may welcome. hit three hours today. Oh God. Well, if we don't, if we don't have to talk about other movies we've seen lately, I have seen a few movies. So I have too. Maybe we'll save that for next week. Okay, maybe okay. we'll just uh, yeah. Maybe we'll we'll take a week off of the categories and just do another long form review. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. So um, we have 1988's Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven: The New Blood, directed by John Carl Buchler. That's an unfortunate name. Uh, and starring uh, Lar Park Lincoln, Kevin Blair, uh, Susan Blue, Terry uh, Kaiser, and Kane Hodder as Jason Voorhees. The Kane Hodder who would reprise Jason in three more films. Uh, the plot centers... Is uh, he your favorite actor that played him? No. no it's, okay. a, I, I, it's sort of a hot take on my part, but I'll get there. Because people love uh, the Kane Hodder. I do not. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, set, set, uh, set a number of years after the events of, uh, part six, the plot follows a psychokinetic teenage girl who unwittingly releases Jason from his tomb at the bottom of the lake, allowing him to go on another grilling spree at Crystal Lake. Yep. <coughs> cool. Um, I have yeah, similar, that- <laughs> I have similar feelings about this one that I have towards part three. Yeah. I think this movie's total horseshit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this was the one it's the seventh one i watched it this morning actually oh really uh it ended my marathon and i was just sort of fed up like th- yeah. th- this is i i don't blame i felt you. myself hitting the sort of the ceiling of of my enjoyment and uh just like what are we doing here yeah no, what, my what question we, what are we fucking doing well because it's disappointing like like when you saw jason lives were you hoping that the next movie would sort of follow in those footsteps yeah i i Yes, I was expect. Yes, maybe I wasn't expecting it, but I was hoping that we'd have something similar in tone and, mm-hmm. yeah, sim- similarly made in terms of competence and, like, honestly, I wanted more Tommy Jarvis. Me too. I I, I just I don't know. I I, I found uh, I found that whole thread to be compelling it and, is. Yeah. yeah, this this one, yeah, it's just like okay, what if Carrie met Jason? Well, I don't know. Like maybe she would throw some lamps at him with yep. her mind. Yep. That's about it. It's about <laughs> it. Like I saw Carrie and I loved it, but like, ugh, we don't need Wolfman meets fucking Frankenstein. <laughs> we don't need it. No. Um, I don't have that much to say about this one. I, I, it's not, it's not my, it's not my most hated. I, I do actually like this one more than five. Um, I rewatched it though. And I thought I liked this one more than one. But on rewatch, I was like, "Whoa!" Okay. Oh, I much prefer one. Much. Oh prefer yeah, one. me too. Me too. Me too. And yeah. I was like, "Is every single element of this movie rushed to like a detrimental end?" Yes. Holy shit! This right. movie wastes no time, and it's very much to the film's detriment. Yeah. Uh, the stuff with the Carrie figure. Her name is not Carrie, but it's no. you know it's a Carrie stand-in. Uh, the story with her is that her father years ago fell off of a dock or a pier at of course camp crystal lake that uh that it's strongly implied that she was responsible for the pier getting destroyed because she was in a fit of rage after her father hit her mother on an alcoholic stupor uh so years later she's feeling tremendous guilt but she returns to the scene of the crime to contend with it uh, and in just like a really ham-fisted plot oh, yeah. device, she uh, senses Jason's presence <laughs> underneath Camp Crystal Lake, yep. uh, misreads it as 
her father's presence and then uh yeah raises um jason from the 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 bottom of the lake because uh, of course as we know in the previous movie uh tommy jarvis chained jason to the bottom of camp crystal lake returning him to home uh so yeah the whole the whole movie is sort of uh this girl contending with her trauma and also fighting jason and there's some psych psychic energy going on and uh kids are killed and boobs are shown and mm-hmm. it's like this was the first one and i'm sure the next two are similar where it's just like oh god you're really just throwing shit up against the wall to see what sticks no it's sad like, like you said because you get the sixth one and tom mclaughlin is like put everything he could into making that a good movie and it paid off it's like okay we have a, like a respectable entry through and through that every even critics will acknowledge but then you get this one and they don't try to live up to that. I think it's really upsetting. It's just they really threw in the towel in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And the the best they can do is like again Carrie versus Jason. That's it. Let me let me show you some facts. This one was actually intended to have a higher standard of quality than the previous installments, and they were trying to get high profile directors and actors to be attached to the thing. Brian Param- De Palma. <laughs> Fine, go ahead. That would be interesting, actually. But um, but Paramount was looking for the partnership of New Line Cinema to create the crossover film with like uh, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. So I think they were hoping to eventually do Freddy versus Jason's much sooner than they intended. Uh-huh. Uh, but basically, that didn't. Man, that didn't happen until two thousand three. Well, Freddy versus Jason wasn't that like supposed to take place before Jason X? Wasn't there a whole thing yeah. about that? Well, okay, so. Uh, Jason takes Manhattan happens and it is like, like commercially just underperformed and everyone hated it. And Paramount was like fed up. They sold the rights to new line cinema. And then you get Jason goes to hell. And that one ends with Jason's mask getting pulled down into hell by Freddy Krueger. So the following film, Oh word. Yes. That one, that one is supposed, that's weird. It's a crossover between Freddy, Jason and evil dead. Okay. Okay, interesting. But um yeah, that the the following film was supposed to be Freddy versus Jason, but instead they're like, we'll just do Jason X in between and then we'll do mm-hmm. Freddy versus Jason. Right. For what whatever reason I don't know, but Okay. Well, also there was like a dispute because they didn't have the rights to the Friday the 13th title for that yeah, that 10th so movie, right? They had the right to the character but not the title. So they could only say Jason, which is why yeah. the first the, the the latter two entries are uh um like Jason something rather than friday the 13th yeah um totally uh yeah so like this this to me is just if this franchise ever could have jumped the shark this is the moment that it did you know i'm not sure that it uh it was ever any better than that but um yeah i just found the whole thing to be really pointless and i i I was just i was exhausted now maybe I was also exhausted because I have COVID nineteen, oh, yeah. but but also yeah, like I just felt a lot of fatigue, a lot of fatigue. No, th- like I said, this one is to me feels the most rushed into mm-hmm. into existence, where like every story beat does not work just because it lasts like five seconds and then they have to move on to the next beat, um, and then the tricks are all the same. Yeah, there's not there's not I I think the tricks if. <sighs> If you're just watching this movie alone and you're not marathoning the movies, there is still some fun to be had. It's not the like an abomination in the way that like uh, um, Jason X is or uh, Jason Takes Manhattan, but it just it's it's to me it's 
it's it's funny to say, but it feels the most disposable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Yep. It just feels like they're just going through the motions and trying to pump a movie out. And the only excuse is, hey, we have Carrie, I guess, to fight Jason, and that's it. Yeah, I'm not sure if I hated this one or part three more. Uh, at no, least I this just, one had had Bernie from Weekend to Bernie's. Oh. That's the good news. The doctor is played by Bernie from Weekend to Bernie's. Oh, I see. And uh, uh, um, and I like the moment where Jason uh, puts the, the girl in a sleeping bag and, and smashes her up against the tree. Yeah, that's great. So that's a famous <laughs> kill as well. I dug that kill. Other than that, though, yeah, I thought like overall these are pretty underwhelming kills. And uh, I, I like God, Jason. that ending is that ending is cringe. Oh, it's so bad. It's so fucking bad, man. It's like one of the worst in the entire series. Although part eight does end with Jason being turned back into a child. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Manhattan, man. You should see it because you like New York. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I enjoy the carry fight. I, it, it, it's fun enough. Like I said, on its own, you can watch it and enjoy it for what it is. It, it, it It's still not a good movie, but uh, there's, there's at least some fun to be had. Not all of the kills are edited to shit, but most of them are. Mm. Um, and it, it, it to its credit, this is the best Kane Hodder Jason. Okay, I don't. Not a, like, you're not an Uber Jason fan. No, no. Although <laughs> that being said, I watched it last night with my brother just for fun. Oh, for, oh word! I watched that in the remake last night just for hahas. Okay. And I will say that kane hotter is best suited as uber jason but when it whenever he puts on <laughs> the normal jason costume i'm like nope oh, wow. he is very pronounced as jason and it always feels like overacting yeah yeah you're right he kind of the, the overall the jason character works better when he's just sort of a bumbling fool yeah and there's yeah you're right there's a little too much intentionality to the way that kane hotter moves I agree. And, uh, you, you know, you read a lot of look, I, I just think like when Jason is smart, it doesn't work like the thing about And that's why I love part two so much. I like when Jason is just a man child. Yeah, I, I, I like when Jason doesn't know exactly what he's doing and he's quiet. That's always, you know, it's kind of weird that he's so quiet. It's kind of weird that he just pops out of corners that. Yeah. The geography of these scenes never make any sense. Well, it's the, like, this, dude, I just looked at that corner and he wasn't there, and now he's there. You know? Oh, that, and they they carry that through even with like uh, the, the remake where it's like, how the hell did you get up on that roof? It's been ten seconds. You know right. that happens all the time. Yeah, and the video game actually, the idea that he could teleport, I think, actually does that, a lot of the the exposition for you there. It really does explain the the mechanics of that because the geography the, of these movies make no sense. No, that's the whole joke. Is like, come on, Jason can teleport. Yeah, exactly. No, they ma- they've made fun of that in Robot Chicken before, so. <laughs> right. Uh but yeah, I I I just don't like when Jason is clever. Like cuz there are plenty of movie villains that are clever and generally those movie villains talk. Mm-hmm. You know? And I just think like it, it, he works best if he's just a bane. You know? He's just like a big jack dude that kills and doesn't speak. And like there are, there are times in, in the good movies don't imply it, but the bad movies do. They imply that there is intentionality and logic to his actions. Yes. I mean, I, I, you're right though. Like I like, I like it. I mean, there's intentionality to his, his, his actions in, I guess the first four, you know, and two is good. 
And, you know, and four is good. Yeah, but he's not outsmarting the characters. He's just better at killing than they are. <laughs> you know? I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, in part six, he's definitely outsmarting the cops. So there's that okay. scene where he throws the, the, the dart into the guy's head. But, I mean, I, that movie gets a ton of passes for me just because the Jason is that in that movie is so awesome. Right, It's right, just right. fun to watch that Jason do his thing. Right. And he just works as, like, this hunter character that's just kind of stalking. But they don't overplay it. Like, they don't give him – they give him just enough personality, but they're not having him breathe angrily, which is what Kane Hodder's doing. Right. And I, I, right. I, I yes. just don't – Yeah, he I just becomes like a, a – yeah. Like a bulldog, like a pit bull, ready to attack. Yeah, I just, I don't, I just don't like that. It, like, yeah, it, too pronounced. That's that's my issue with it. Although, this is the best he ever did. Like, I, I don't think every choice he makes is wrong. I, I there are instances where the angry kills kind of work, but like I said, it's just most of the time it's a little too over the top. But it's a lot better than what he was doing in the next three films. Oh my god! So, mm. yeah. And I also uh, I like the design. Yeah. I I like the design of Jason in this. You know, cool design, I guess. But yeah, I, I haven't really picked up that much on the uh, oh on the, the on the subtleties of the costuming. But oh no, this one had like the exposed back the, with the the oh the yeah, spine. I guess yeah, yeah, the spine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. I think it's a little over designed personally, but uh, okay. for the most part, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Still, like yeah, favorite Jason is still part six, but still okay. Um... Yeah, this is quite the series. This is quite the series. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, quite the series. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I have absolutely nothing more to say about these movies. I have, I have completely, I have tapped the well. I have, I have purged my system of every opinion I have of Do this it. franchise. <laughs> and I hope to never give another opinion about them again. <laughs> you, you, I gave you two and a half hours. Two yeah. and a half hours. That on my bad. deathbed as I'm, ail- I'm ailing of a disease that I has know. killed 500,000 people. It's okay. <laughs> Man, I can't believe you watched this with COVID. Oh, it's crazy. That's I can't fun. believe I podcasted about it on COVID. Yeah. I am exhausted, by the way. Yeah, I'm you, fucking you, beat, dude. You need a fucking break, man. Oh my I, God. I, I need some fluids and I need a nap because, like, yeah, I am, I'm not going to be well in about a half hour. I can just feel it. Well, you'll be fine. Maybe watch Friday the 13th, the remake. Um, no, I'm watching WandaVision this afternoon. Oh, okay? I watched the spooktacular episode. It was fine. Don't watch it out of order. I don't care watch- about this stuff, man. Okay. Okay. Uh, so what are you putting into the movie Hall of Fame? I mean, I want to put in Jason Lives, but yeah. Uh, yeah, as I, as I said, I think like part two... I would say it is the most indicative of the franchise. I think part four is the most indicative of the franchise, personally. Okay, fair enough. Um, to me, it like has the perfect combination of compelling kills, but also a little schlock and a little that rough around the edges quality. Um, but yeah, I look, this is your franchise, and I will not debate this, <laughs> uh, mostly because I need a nap. But yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I I think that the two arguments personally are Jason Lives and and Part Four, okay. But I, for me, yeah, it's, it'll it'll always be Jason Lives. Uh, then very well, congratulations to Jason Lives. <laughs> Welcome to the movie Hall of Fame. Um, and there you go. This is the last time you'll be assigning a topic for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I gave you two weeks. I was, I was very kind and, and, and held your hand through this one. I think, you know, I'm just <laughs> also for inducting Jason lives. It, it's, I think this franchise deserves to have it, you know, it's, it's best movie, you know, like, like, you know, given a place. Cause I, th- my, my, my issue is that if you give it to like part four or part two, it's like, yeah, like the, the, the part four to me is the most indicative of the franchise, but yeah, it's just not the best movie. So mm-hmm. it's, it, to me, it's, it's slightly more, even more respectable just to, uh, give it to part six. Cause you know, it's a significant franchise, you know, and it d- definitely means a lot to a lot of people. So, and it means a lot to you and it does uh, mean a lot to me. I'm happy that we finally were able to do this. Um, but yeah, I'm very tired. That's fine. I get it. <laughs> I get it. So there you go, kids. Um, yeah. So next week, yeah. Let's. You, you saw Judas and the Black Messiah, right? Yep. Okay. Um, so I think that that's definitely worthy of a prolonged conversation. Okay. Um, and I do think Nomadland comes out on Hulu today. Does it? I think so. Maybe we give that one a review because it is currently the best picture front runner, and I'm very curious because I really don't know what I'm getting out of that movie. Yeah, I don't know either. So, uh, yeah, I could be wrong. Maybe it's next week, but mm. I thought I thought it was February 19th. So, yeah, maybe I don't know. We we catch up on some Oscar contenders and we'll chat it up. But I I do the week after want to maybe talk some Eddie Murphy. Okay, because coming to America comes out. Oh, uh, and I think '80s Eddie Murphy might be a cool topic. That's fine. I'm I'm down to do that. That'll be fun. Okay, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you know, not Doctor Doolittle. Like you know, Forty Eight Hours and the Beverly Hills Cop movies. And yeah. I like Doctor Doolittle. Okay, <laughs> but Norbit. we don't have to talk about. It. We're not doing Norbit. <laughs> oh God! No! 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 Thank you. Uh, cool. All right, that's it. That was a podcast. Yeah, that was a podcast. Uh, anything else oh. you got for me? Uh, I guess watch the Britney Spears doc. Oh, it's word. Pretty, I haven't watched that yet. It's pretty good. That's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel left out of the, the Britney discourse these days, but I need to I need to catch up. I've seen a couple other movies, but one of them in particular I'd like to save until the next show. Oh, I saw your letterbox review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, deeply affected me. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that next week. Um, mm-hmm. Until then, guys, Jason lives. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you. Yeah. Until next your, time. Your tits are stupendous. Yeah.